You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits. We have been gone for what feels like maybe years for a lot of you, but we're back. We wanted to give you guys an episode as we go into USC's fall camp. But before we get into all those things, Gerard, how was your vacation and break from this little podcast? What vacation and (laughs) not having a week of the podcast Two what? weeks of the podcast. Let's get it correct. Two weeks of the podcast. No, two weeks? Yes, two weeks. It's been two weeks off. I feel like it's only been a week. Gerard has stepped into a, a time warp and time does Are not you sure it's been two weeks? Because it doesn't feel like it's been two weeks. It's I thought been two weeks. We had one uh, the week before last. and um, No, because I remember I made the announcement that there was no podcast and then you were supposed to make the announcement for the second week off and you didn't and so i had to step in and be like yeah well, there's no podcast this now, week. i think you're confusing podcast with war room day uh weeks off because we did have a week where we didn't have a war room uh, and then we had more room last week but we didn't have the podcast last week so i i don't know maybe i'm, I'm, just I'm telling you everyone confused. is screaming into their Wherever they're listening, is like, it was two weeks. It was two weeks. They went through two weeks of withdrawals. I promise you they're screaming at us right now. It was two weeks, Gerard. It was two weeks. There's only one thing that matters in this world. <laughs> I, when does the podcast come out? That is the only thing that I don't. I don't remember two weeks being off. Uh, certainly wasn't on vacation for two weeks, I can tell you that much. Uh, we had a very busy beginning to July with all the different passing tournaments going on and various different commitments, obviously – Some of those did not go USC's way. Uh, The weather is getting warmer, but USC recruiting has gone cold. Wrote a little piece on that in the war room, which perhaps gives you a little more optimism going into the season. I think that this year, this cycle, there's perhaps more optimism that USC can recruit itself back into uh, some storylines that maybe last year they couldn't because there were not those expectations. But I think uh, the team is a little more on the radar now nationally. You know, there's more expectations of the team doing well. And while that is something that's often created by the media and the fan base, recruits take notice of that. You know, they hear, oh, this team's supposed to be good. That team's supposed to be good. And when they are good, it tends to have a more immediate impact in recruiting. So potentially – 
there could be more recruiting that goes on, I think, during this season than last season where the expectations were USC is just going to rebuild. And this season, the expectations are USC is going to win a conference championship and potentially be in the college football playoff. So we'll see how things shake out. But uh, there is a decommit season that happens here uh, kind of towards uh, uh, the, the, the end of November. And we'll see if USC is able to take advantage of that. If they are having a good year, they're rolling and they've got some momentum on the field. A couple things before we get into this episode. We have no iPad, which controls our soundboard. So unfortunately, you're not going to hear the fight on mariachi music for a break. We will have no, unfortunately, sound bites. So Gerard, if you want, uh, have you made your decision for Christ? You're going to have to do it yourself because I have... Yeah, or that. You can just do that. I can just cut that and do that. But yes, no uh, real sound effects. We'll have to do all our own sound effects here. They Hopefully they pay us extra for that. But yeah, so it's a, it's a very Dang. bare bones. It's very bare bones in terms of splashy sound effects when it comes to this week's episode of the podcast. And two, we're going a little bit later. We're actually filming a day earlier. But I got to get Gerard out of a very hot garage. Garage Martinez is, uh, you know, he's in a sauna right now. So I got to protect the star of the show. So Yeah, we'll see I, how that goes. The iPad gets the vacation, but uh, <laughs> Gerald Garage Martinez does not. If if you just hear like a giant uh, thump out of nowhere, that may be that uh, hurricane collapsed uh, from heat exhaustion in the garage show. We'll have to, to, to monitor that and make sure Gerard's doing okay. I heard he's got a fly in there somewhere. I hope he has plenty of fluids with him. So we just got to power through uh, this episode despite the heat that is going on, especially in the IE. So before we get into the show, which is going to have a bunch of like random topics, we'll get into those more clearly. But before we get into that, just a quick reminder and a thank you to the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. You know her, you love her. That's Meredith Schlosser one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews. She's represented everyone from Justin Silverstein, head coach of USC's Woman Golf, to Jeannie Buss, president of the Los Angeles Lakers, and a one-star like myself, Chris 10K Trevino. Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rental sales and purchases. She also has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Now, Gerard, cold open for a hot July, which isn't very hot for USC on the recruiting trail. We don't want to harp on this too much. Everyone knows USC is in a little bit of a cold streak when it comes to recruiting. They went 0 for 3 in July after a blistering June. And I know what you're thinking. A lot of people were freaking out about this. USC struck out on three major prospects out here. We're going to go through them, but they shouldn't be worrying that much as you gave them a nice little pep talk at the beginning of the show about USC re-recruiting as the season goes on. But USC did come in second, third, fourth, fifth for a couple of prospects. Mikey Matthews, the five-star Georgia wide receiver, 
Taylor Tatum, the number one running back in the class, he committed to Oklahoma, and we've detailed the whole USC Oklahoma uh, recruitment recruitment of Taylor Tatum, and then Kingston Villamoasa, the local St. John Bosco priority linebacker target for Brian Odom and USC, ended up with a little bit of a stunner going to Notre Dame over Ohio State and the Trojans. Gerard, I guess we should first start with Mikey Matthews, five-star receiver, one of the few wide, excuse me, five stars USC was in the mix for in a very, a, a, a class that maybe is not going to have a five-star. Talked about where that five-star juice was coming from. Mikey Matthews could have been one of those five-star juice, but no, that is not happening. He is going to Tennessee, USC. I don't think USC fans should be uh, very torn up about this one because Lincoln Riley is going to do anything is to recruit quarterbacks well and skilled players like the wide receiver position. But Gerard, do you have any thoughts on Mikey Matthews being the first domino that did not fall for USC in July? Well, something interesting to note is that Mike Matthews is now in the database and actually shows up his position as being a safety. So I don't know if that's something that came along with his recruitment from Tennessee and that's the projected position for him at Tennessee, which would be interesting because he's talked a lot about playing wide receiver. And that was one of the things early in his recruitment. A lot of people liked him more as a safety, you know, as a prospect, but he wanted to play wide receiver. So that's where, you know, basically the rankings changed and the conversation with various different colleges changed him playing on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I think he's a good athlete. He's a good player. Uh, USC had some good angles on him early on in the spring and those sort of dried up as you got later in the summer. And, you know, his unofficial visits were all to SEC schools. And uh, basically that's where Tennessee went out. There was a little bit of talk about him playing basketball in college as well. I talked to a source there in Georgia uh, that had uh, just been with him and talked with him and conveyed to me or actually asked me just the question, is USC talking to him at all about playing basketball? And I said, I, I don't think so. And he comes from a AAU uh, background, he and his sister. Uh, and so, you know, they're very well-traveled and basketball is something that I guess, you know, is, is sort of a first love for him to some extent. And so, Kind of like with Taylor Tatum in the talk of baseball, all of a sudden becoming, you know, this main factor in his recruitment. Uh, I heard a little bit about basketball being something that would uh, potentially sway Mike Matthews. So he ends up at Tennessee, uh, was predicted by many early on, you know, that he would end up at Tennessee. Um, I think, like you said, Chris, the wide receiver position of all the positions, I think is a position that you can play yourself into some recruitments during the season, whether it's with guys that you've already recruited, like a Draylon Miller or a Mike Matthews or another player, uh, Bryant Wesco, someone that is committed, commi committed to another school, and then you start comparing offensive production during the season and they start to take a second look. Now, NIL is something that we still are trying to get a feel for how much it can secure a commitment regardless of how awful a team plays during the season. Uh, we saw with Miami last year, Francis Mauego, the five-star off the tackle. Miami was terrible last year, and there was a lot of thought like, okay, that might open things up for Francis Mauegoa as the season progresses, and he did not waver. Now, NIL was a big factor in his recruitment. So we don't know. NIL shenanigans going on behind the scenes and – kids that are signing contracts which are illegal binding not binding 
you know, all of that is still something that we're trying to get our arms around to kind of understand how it impacts kids after they make that commitment during the summer. So we'll have to kind of watch that as the season progresses. But we know that is one position where USC is going to have a lot of production and the expectation is for them to do very well this year, particularly on the offensive side of the football. So I think that this is a position that they can get traction with either guys that have, you know, they've recruited in the past and have committed to other schools or perhaps somebody that just kind of comes out of nowhere and ends up being a player that hasn't taken an official visit to USC that decided to reach out to USC because he's decommitted from a school and never really gave USC a chance or talked to USC in the spring. The one thing we've seen from USC is that they do become somewhat myopic at certain positions at a certain point in time in a recruitment. We saw it with the quarterback position with Dylan Rayola. We saw it at the running back position with Taylor Tatum. And so, you know, there is a sort of point where you have to say, okay, who's at the top of our board? Who's the guy that we put the most into? But I think with USC, it's sometimes gotten to the point where it's like we're kind of neglecting other players, or at least that's the perception from those prospects. And when they don't get that number one plan A, then it's a little harder for them to pivot. Um, And I think that's probably a good segue into talking about running back recruiting and the commitment of Taylor Tatum. Quite frankly, it's a perfect segue into Taylor Tatum. Obviously, Taylor Tatum, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, was the number one kind of or at least in that top tier category for Kyle McDonald and his recruiting of running backs for the 2024 class. The number one running back in the nation for both the composite two star composite, the 24 seven sports composite rankings, excuse me, uh, maybe in our composite uh Composite podcast rankings. Maybe we'll start some of those. But and no, I think Nate Frazier would have him beat, buddy. Okay, that's true. That's true. And we're going to talk about him in a second. Uh, that's right. We can't be on the same page if Gerard uh, has got Nate Frazier number one, uh, number one for him. But Taylor Tatum, consensus number one running back by the composite rankings and the 24, 24 sports rankings. Just a four star prospect that, that kind of speaks to how kind of weak this running back class is. And this is an interesting position USC is now in, having lost out on Taylor Tatum to Oklahoma. And obviously they played that baseball angle up really big for him. And that was kind of the turning point, a big, uh, big baseball meeting with the Oklahoma staff about, you know, their plans for him. And baseball seemed to have a bigger impact than initially thought. And, you know, there's people that talked about maybe he doesn't want to play football all that much, or maybe he has a bigger love for baseball in the end, as opposed to football. So kind of a two sport athlete taking that approach for the Sooners. And this puts uh, USC and kind of Kyle McDonald in an interesting position because last year, his first cycle with the Trojans, you know, he was able to lock up his two, two backs really early in the summer, uh, Marion Peterson. And then uh, Quentin Joyner, those guys were locked up and that was it. They kept them all, all through the cycle. They had great senior years, were able to move up the rankings and, you know, was able to sign them in the end in December. So Kyle McDonald still has a spot open for a running back to join him along with Brian, Brian Jackson, the three-star prospect they have committed now. So we're going to get to see Kyle McDonald kind of recruit during the season or kind of what that looks like. So what's next for the running back recruitment? Recruitment is the big, one of the big questions left for this 2024 class as we move into the fall. 
you know, Nate Frazier is still out there. You know, there was a, the Lamar Radcliffe kind of popped up as a name there. He put USC in his top three. USC had offered kind of a long time ago, and they weren't really recruiting him. So kind of an interesting to to include the Trojans there, but he ended up committing to Utah. And just like wide receivers, as we mentioned, there are plenty of running backs across the country, and you feel confident in Kyle McDonald be, being able to maybe identify a new running back, a new offer down the line over the next couple of months, or maybe they'll circle back into somebody that 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 they were interested in before. A, I, I guess a Christian Clark is the name that comes up. He is committed to Texas. Maybe maybe they circle back with him in a couple months. But a lot of questions going on with the running back room. So we're going to get to see Kyle McDonald kind of recruit in season and search for that second running back commitment. I think at the top, speaking specifically about Taylor Tatum, uh, this was a case where USC really locked in on him and had potential to bring in other running backs during the season for official visits. And you mentioned Christian Clark out of Phoenix, one of those players that actually had an official visit scheduled for May, and USC decided to cancel that. And so you got the sense, okay, they want to know where they're at with Taylor Tatum first. And I totally get that. I think they wanted to know if they could lock that down, then they didn't really have to spend too much time on other running backs or potentially have to tell somebody that wanted to commit. Because let's say Christian Clark takes that visit May 19th and decides, I want to be a Trojan. And you still got Taylor Tatum on the board and you feel good about Taylor Tatum, you don't want to have to tell Christian Clark, sorry, we're waiting on somebody else, because that's probably going to end that recruitment. Um, Whereas if you don't have him come until later, then there's that potential where you get a read on what, what Taylor Tatum is going to do, and then come to the decision that you need to continue to recruit other running backs. Now, USC didn't do that post Taylor Tatum's recruitment, which is why I kind of say that they got a little myopic there. You know, they had the opportunity to offer maybe a Derek McFall out of Tyler, Texas, uh, maybe bring in uh, Nate Palmer's another recruit at the running back position that they were recruiting. Uh, Maybe, you know, pivot to recruiting Nate Frazier more or at all, quite frankly. There is, you know, was potential there maybe after that first week of June uh, for USC to be able to, you know, look at some other running back recruits. And they really kind of just said, hey, you know, we're going to put our eggs in that Taylor Tatum basket. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. Now, on the bright side, you're talking about the number one running back in the nation. But as you said, a four-star, number 42 nationally. So that kind of speaks to maybe the running back class as a whole, but definitely reiterate some of the questions we had of Taylor Tatum just being the number one running back in the country and sort of what he brings to the table as a tailback. You know, is he really that guy that's going to be uh, good enough to demand 20 plus carries a game when you have, you know, Quentin Joyner there and you have Marion Peterson there and you have the transfer portal. And so we always talk about the transfer portal. That is somewhat of a safety net. And I think the approach for USC is that it's a safety net, but I don't know if that's really the best strategy either. It it sort of needs to be a supplement, I think, more to your high school football recruiting class than a sort of fallback plan B 
all the time because you just never know what the pool of talent is going to be out of the transfer portal. And USC has been very successful getting good players out of the transfer portal. And they've been very serviceable, good players. But none of them have been those dynamic sort of featured type backs. And there haven't been very many of those guys, if any of those guys, arguably, that have gone into the transfer portal. So I still think if you're looking for top-tier talent and you want to compete for national championships year in and year out, you're going to have to do what Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, et cetera, do, and that is get your first-tier guys out of high school. And yes, you can fill some spots. You can bring in you know, a handful of guys from the portal that, that could really help you at certain positions. But if you're thinking we're going to build around somebody out of the portal, that's unlikely. You know, I think with Caleb Williams, obviously a unique situation. Uh, you do get a guy like Jordan Addison, but I don't think USC really built their pass offense around Jordan Addison. Um, it's really not something I think you can depend on annually at least you know there's always going to be those outliers that pop up and decide to transfer like a guy like Jordan Addison who's high level Blitnikoff winner uh, but in most years you're probably not going to be able to sit back and say well you know what we uh, went after these couple guys out of high school we missed out we're not going to recruit now until we get into the transfer season so we'll see how that works out with the running back position uh, you went through a few players at USC recruited, um, but some of them they didn't bring in on official visits. There is one outstanding running back target who did not officially visit USC during the summer, but USC did recruit pretty hard, and that's Jason Brown out of Seattle, out of O'Day High School, mm-hmm. and a player that, interestingly enough, and this is sort of going back to what I said about you know putting your eggs all in one basket and being a bit myopic, you actually overheard a conversation where – Jason Brown was talking to another recruit at the Elite 11 and chatting about USC and what schools that he was looking at. And he he said something to the effect that, yeah, you know, with USC, uh, Taylor Tatum is probably going there. They're probably going to get Taylor Tatum. That's their guy. And I I had a conversation with Nick Frazier. He basically told me the same thing, like Taylor Tatum's their guy. And so that was at least the perception. And that was known in those circles, which, you know, isn't necessarily a good thing for USC because now you're having to transition to potentially recruit one of those guys. And at this point, USC's had some contact with Nate Frazier. They're not in it for Nate Frazier right now. Okay. They're not in it at all, but Nate Frazier grew up in the shadow of USC. Uh, Nate Frazier is a local kid and, and has told me many times he has reverence for USC and speaks with USC uh, with the respect and a sort of, you know, that's a school that I would always sort of consider because they were a childhood favorite sort of thing. It's just USC has not seen him as that guy. And so the communication has been very sparse. It's been very, hey, great track meet, you know, last weekend, good looking, but nothing like, hey, we want to get you to campus this weekend. Hey, we want to talk to you about this, that, or the other. And so, again, that perception is, uh, Taylor Tatum was their guy. And now that they don't have that guy, you kind of wonder, are they able to transition to those other guys that they're recruiting? Or do you basically have to start from fresh and go back to maybe some of these guys that you 
recruited earlier in the spring, you offered scholarships to, and then try to rekindle some of those relationships. Gerard bringing out the big words today for our return. Reverence, myopic. Gerard, I, I feel like I learn new things every time we we have a podcast together. And it's interesting you talk about starting over or circling back. That's kind of in a position where USC is with our final guy they struck out with, and that is Kingston Viliamu Asa, the last prospect uh, that came off the board, not for the Trojans, uh, over the weekend, chose Notre Dame over Ohio State and USC. And Gerard, we, we've talked about Kingston a lot. You know, St. John Bosco, USC is uh, – Excuse me. They have traditionally struggled to pull out top prospects in St. John Bosco, six foot three, 230 pounds, you know, top 100 prospect uh, was initially the the number one prospect in California when he was first ranked. You know, some say he's the best. He's going to be the best defensive player to come out of St. John Bosco. So we know all about Kingston as a local guy. But I just wanted to read you this quote, because as I mentioned at the top of the top of the show, you know, picking Notre Dame. Kind of a stunner. We all felt it was going to be Ohio State at the end. So I just want to read you this quote. Uh, Kingston Villiamaasa, quote, honestly, man, I couldn't see myself there, there being Notre Dame, but I could at the other two schools. But I read Hebrews 11-2, which talks about faith as assurance in the things we can't see. Going to the mountains really solidified my answer because I felt God wanted me to have faith, which required trusting in what I could not see. So, Gerard, I feel like this is a win for you. I feel like this is is a a point in the in the whole debate about what is Alec Baldwin talking about? And I feel like has he made his decision for Christ is, in fact, talking about Jesus Christ, because faith seems to have made the decision here with Notre Dame from Kingston Viliamu Asa. And what do you want me to address in that statement? Because <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Obviously, right? You don't, obviously don't have to. He made a Manti Teo <laughs> type decision where it was the school that was the least likely in terms of how he related, comfort level, all the things that ninety nine percent of other recruits those are boxes that they're looking to check. Whereas Kingston came to the conclusion that he needed to go in the opposite way. And, and obviously with Notre Dame, it's a parochial school. And so that makes sense, you know, from that standpoint. But in other ways was something that maybe he wasn't comfortable with and didn't really see himself with and didn't necessarily have uh, that uh, emotional connection to. So it's an interesting quote. And. Certainly his uh, his decision was surprising to a lot of people, myself included. I thought USC just could not overcome Ohio State. You know, I thought that the development of defensive players was really something that was being harped on, uh, not only by Ohio State, but people that were around Kingston. And I felt like his family and sort of the comfort level – and a lot of those intangibles, USC made a lot of ground really on his unofficial visit late in the spring. And then with the official visit, I think that as a whole, that whole package, I think USC really gave themselves a real shot. 
Uh, whereas I think with Ohio State, it was, hey, man, we're going to develop you into an NFL football player. Look at those draft picks that we've had in recent years. Uh, look at our defensive numbers, et cetera. And they really just pounded that point, which they should. I mean, they've done an excellent job getting guys drafted and they've been in the big games and they've won some big games over the past few years. So, you know, they're going to play those cards and you kind of understood, OK, is that going to be at the end of the day, what is the biggest factor? You know, what is the overriding factor in his recruitment? It turned out it was neither of those things. It was uh, more his faith and praying on it and feeling as though that, I don't know, There, it's more like he made the decision for what he didn't see rather than what he did see. Mm. So I'm not going to try to break it down too much. I'm, I'm certainly not criticizing his decision or the rationale with his decision, but just interpreting, you know, how I read it and and how I hear it. And so, you know, there's another guy that, hey, listen, committed to Notre Dame. Congratulations. Does USC stay on him? Probably. They still stay in connection with him? Probably. You want to come down, see a game? Guess what? We're 7-0. What's Notre Dame right now? Probably. Elijah Page, you know, committed to Notre Dame, went through that process, and then Notre Dame really struggled during the season, and he popped up at USC for an unofficial visit, and the rest is history. So these things can still change, and um, we'll see how this shakes out. But it is uh, an interesting, again, sort of Manti Teo-type recruitment where, you know, there were other things involved which – you know, it's all about trying to read that. And, and listen, USC couldn't really do anything more about that. Neither could Ohio State. They're not parochial schools. They, they don't have uh, that built-in sort of uh, a Catholic, um, you know, educational structure, which he's obviously getting at St. John Bosco. So that was a factor that was inherent to Notre Dame. And again, just like with the NFL draft, which is what Ohio State's going to re, uh, lean on, you know, their recent success there uh, and development on the field. USC's going to uh, try to lean more on tradition and the Polynesian connection that they've had with players and the success they've had developing those players and the home factor and the family factor and the the comfort factor. I think they built themselves a little a little uh, the fortress there, you know, in that respect. Uh, and then, you know, Notre Dame has, you know, parochial school and and everything that goes along with that. So everybody kind of played their cards, what they had. And it turned out that uh, Kingston liked the cards that uh, Notre Dame was dealing more. So um, we'll see how that, you know, develops through the year. And again, if USC uh, stays on it and stays after it, like they did with Elijah Page or some of these other recruits uh, during the season. And, and obviously we have confidence the offense is going to play good. <laughs> next season all right they're 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 going to produce uh they're going to be exciting to watch what happens with the defensive side of the ball you know can they match that can there be that sort of upside that could be the factor that is kind of missing for them right now on the on the defensive side of the ball from a recruiting standpoint you know that excitement level of you know usc is going out there and they're putting together some dominant performances that excite uh, defensive players, you know. So uh, again, it's just a, a little bit of wait and see, and um, it's probably good news that he committed to Notre Dame over Ohio State. You would kind of feel maybe that would be a harder commitment to crack, you know, if it's Ohio State, mainly because you're thinking, okay, Ohio State's probably gonna have a good season next year. 
They're going to do what Ohio State does. Well, with Notre Dame, I mean, there are plenty of people, uh, plenty of fighting Irish fans that were calling for Marcus Freeman's head last year. It's like, oh, my gosh, we made such a mistake. This team is so bad. So we'll see, you know, how they end up playing. And again, you know, how much that actually impacts uh, some of these players making these decisions before the season. And like you said, they did flip a Notre Dame commit last year in Elijah Page. So can they do it again? And as you mentioned, that that's what's big and different about the Kingston Villiamo Asa because he is a defensive, defensive player. And with you know with Mikey Matthews and wide receivers and Taylor Tatum running backs, the offense is going to play well. We know this. They're going to put up good numbers. They're going to be appealing to guys they recruit during the end season. Will that be the case for defensive players? Because USC does need a good linebacker class with, you know, the older players kind of moving on after this season. You know, Mason Cobb has declared that his intention to be a one and done. This will be his final year at the college level. We know Shane Lee is out of eligibility after this year. Eric Gentry with a big enough season, he is uh, NFL eligible as a junior. So he could be off to the NFL. So USC could be without their three top veteran guys. Obviously, the transfer portal is there to beckon and help uh, transition and get those guys with the Big Ten next season. But USC does need some more bodies in the linebacker room. And, you know, Chris Cole is a name that has been popular among USC fans as a guy, you know, possibly they'll get an official visit during the season. You know, Braden Platt is still out there somewhere. And they made plenty of linebacker offers over the course of spring and summer. So plenty of guys they can circle back feel out. Obviously, Dylan Williams is still there, the Oregon commit. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Naki Tuakoy, who they offered out in Oakland, he committed to Stanford, but there is plenty of names that Brian Odom accumulated on his offer board. I'm sure we'll see a couple new offers, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do at linebacker, knowing that they need a sizable, impactful inside linebacker class in 2024. Well, I think you kind of glossed over it, though, and we do... I glossed over for you like it is. And I know there's, you know, Trojan fans that are like, yeah, Chris, preach it, brother. And then there's others that are going, okay, you want to talk about accumulation. This is a accumulation of misses here. Dylan Williams, you had committed, he decommitted. Now he's going to Oregon, your rival, or at least, you know, for this year. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen uh, going forward when USC moves to the Big Ten. Uh, But you lose Dylan Williams to Oregon. Uh, you lose Ty Anthony Smith, uh, another linebacker that you had a lead for. You had a silent commitment from. He admitted that uh, to Texas A&M, kind of at the last moment. And now you've lost Kingston Valley to Notre Dame. And so that's two schools that you play that you lost linebackers to. And one, you lost to a local school, but a school that really wasn't heavily involved with that player until kind of later in the process. I think that was a little bit of a package deal sort of thing that went on with Draylon Miller. They both went on an unofficial visit down there and they just convinced them to stay home. Like, Hey man, you guys are from, you know, these small Texas towns and blah, 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 NIL, blah, 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 NIL, blah, blah, blah. And they decided, you know what, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just stay in South Texas and go to Texas A&M. But I think both of those players, they, they really, like USC, and I would say that USC led for them probably longer than any other school in their recruitment. Um, but at the linebacker position, it's different because you are trying to improve this defense. You know, that's the main thing. Now, I was coming away from that 2023 season. The offense, there's a lot more replacing good players with good players, but with the defense, there's replacing bad players with better players. 
uh, or players that are not as productive as they need to be for USC's defense to be dominant with players that can contribute at that level. So there's a little, it's a little steeper mountain to climb when you're trying to rebuild and you're trying to get to that point where you're one of the top five college football programs nationally year in and year out. And that's the thing. That's what makes it difficult to be at that level. And there's very few programs that are at that level. I mean, there's Ohio State. There's Alabama. There's now Georgia. Clemson was there, but they slipped a little bit. Oklahoma was there, but obviously slipped a lot with Lincoln Riley leaving. So a lot of people are substituting where Oklahoma was in those college football playoffs with now USC because they've got Lincoln Riley and the perception is he can get more talent at USC than he could Oklahoma. At this point, we're waiting to see because that hasn't necessarily been the case. You know, the first year, obviously, that's a throwaway year. Uh, the 2023 class, which was technically really the first class that they had, was was a, a solid one. Not great, but solid. And right now, that's where this class is. I think they're nationally number nine in recruiting. They got as high as number five during the year. And I was already getting called out the minute they got to five. Gerard, you said that they were only going to be between about 10 and five, somewhere around there. And they're already top five. Uh, let's just chill and take a deep breath. We're not out even out of the summer yet. You know, I mean, potentially they could get a surprise commitment. I mean, I think Edric Houston, the defensive tackle out of Buford, Georgia, the five stars, really the only guy that's on the docket right now with an announcement in August that comes to mind is a guy that would be a needle mover for the class for USC. So yeah, they're probably going to slip a little more even, you know, they could end up being more like 13 by the time September rolls around. I thought there was a chance for them to be really, I was like eight, seven was where I thought if, if, if everything sort of lined up, but the interesting thing and the thing that you have to point out, and this is why I am very much first to admit, I do not have a monopoly on wisdom. I do not actually have a crystal ball sitting next to me is that they got commitments from some players that we didn't think they were going to get commitments from. And then maybe lost out on some guys that we thought that they really were the lead school for and that they would get. So it works both ways. So, you know, when you look forward, you have to keep the door open for things happening that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And potentially maybe they can get a better foothold in the top 10 right now. It's not a great foothold. There's other schools that are going to get commitments. And if they don't get more than they have right now, which are at 17 commitments, they don't get a few more. There's a really good chance that they probably slip outside that top 10. And that is going to bring us to the end of our cold open. Hopefully that was a little bit maybe therapeutic for you guys who were kind of disappointed about USC going over three in this July. And just remember, it's okay. It's the summer. No recruiting classes are one in the summer. They're one in December when kids are signing. And this is also, we're, we're on the verge of the next big recruiting period that is in the season. That is the fall. So USC should be very competitive, obviously, as we mentioned several times. And that should lend itself into some good recruiting going on over the next several months and into December. So we'll see what shakes out with USC when it comes to finding another wide receiver, another running back, and of course, some linebackers. Gerard, let's get into our next topic, which is a little bit team as we transition to the team, the actual games being played. That's fall. Yeah, camp. baby. Football, fall baby. Football, Football, baby. Football. Football. USC's fall camp will begin on Friday, 
bright and early, and we will run through that for the next month or so until the first week zero game, August 26th against San Jose State. And then me and Gerard can talk some real football going on. But fall camp does begin this week. And I know some people love to get your thoughts on the team, where people are going to play. So I just want to start off. This is going to be like a real casual kind of conversation. Are there any kind of storylines that you're excited for for fall camp? I think for me, my biggest one is, is there going to be more offensive line tinkering? There's been some talk about they're going to tinker a lot more than they did in the spring, which is essentially zero. There's essentially zero movement across that. I still think, you know, Jared Kingston could be a viable left tackle option. There's been talk of Jonah Monheim playing more left tackle uh, in fall camp to see what happens and maybe shifting Michael Tarquin around. But that's kind of one of my big personal storylines. I don't know about you, Gerard, or what you're interested in seeing or, you know, see what's going on with. Well, certainly, I'm more interested in the tinkering on the defensive line and whether there are some adjustments in terms of where guys are playing technique-wise. You know, is Anthony Lucas continuing to play on the outside as an edge, or do they move him inside more? Because he was almost exclusively on the edge when we saw him in the spring game. And it appears like mentally he came in to the transfer thinking he's going to be more of an edge guy. And obviously, we kind of were like, uh, we'd really like to see him be more like 280, 290, which he was actually listed at 275, and play more of a three technique. And so, you know, how does Barry Alexander, you know, fit in there? You've got um, Keon That's Barnes, one of mine. That's one of mine, yeah. Where does Barry Alexander kind of line up? Who, who, who looks like he would be the one shade, uh, zero shade, and then, you know, Bear might be more of the three technique, which is okay. You know, I think bears definitely got some extra in him as a pass rusher, as interior defensive lineman. And that certainly makes USC a bit bigger up front when you have both those guys on the field, or are you seeing them sort of compete for the same position? Um, you know, how does that all sort itself out? You know, are we going to see, uh, you know, additional guys kind of move on to the outside Uh, Are we going to see some development uh, from some of the younger players like uh, Braylon Shelby, where, you know, he wasn't there during the spring, right? David Peavy wasn't there during the spring. And so from a number standpoint, are you pushing guys to the outside because you really feel like that's where they project? Or was it just a numbers thing, a depth thing where it's like, okay, we've got reps out there. Let's get them more reps out there. So I'm interested to kind of see that shell game with Who is going to play on the interior defensive line? How many guys are you going to see in a base package on the defensive line? You know, are you going to see a Jack Sullivan, Bear Alexander, Keon Bars, Anthony Lucas type front, which is much more talented and also a lot bigger and more athletic than the front that you saw last year for USC? So that's kind of exciting to to see how those guys play together and see if there's some synergy there. Because, you know, a lot of times, sometimes, you can have a decent amount of talent within a group. And this is true of the offensive line especially. But it's just not the right mix of guys. And you got to sort of – sometimes it takes an injury or something or it shifts things around, and all of a sudden you just have this group that gels really well. And on paper, they're not necessarily the A group for you, but production is production, 
and the results are the results. And, and these are the guys that run block the best. These are the guys who are most consistent in pass blocking. So you can see that with the defensive line as well, where USC is trying to get the right mix of athletes on the field at the same time. But I am you know, most interested to see that. I'm interested to see the progression of Tackett Curtis at Mike Linebacker and mm-hmm. how many reps, how many really good reps can he get on first and second down? Um, or are you having to push Mason Cobb over there a little more? We don't think Shane Lee is the answer there at Mike Linebacker, at least when you're playing against the majority of the teams uh, on the schedule. You know, he ended up playing uh, Will, uh, which was which was kind of odd, and that kind of made you feel like, ah, if, if, if he's playing Will and they're not – confident with him playing Mike, that's kind of saying something. You're having to put your 6'6", 200-pound outside linebacker at Mike linebacker. And of course, that brings up the giraffe in the room, which is Eric Gentry and where he (laughs) ends up playing and how they end up using him. Maybe that's the most interesting, intriguing thing within that front seven is what do you do with him now? Because you have Mason Cobb and you have Tackett Curtis and both those guys are more classical, traditional Mike linebackers. Um, You know, obviously Mason Cobb, I think you can play at will if, 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 if uh, you can trust Tackett Curtis playing Mike. And, and, you know, that's just with his reads, his calls, certainly in pass. Is he, you know, a guy that's going to give up a touchdown Or is he a guy that, you know, might make some mistakes here and there, but because of his physicality and athleticism, he makes up for that, you know, more than he does not. That's going to be interesting because if you're lining up Eric Gentry back at Mike Linebacker, I cringe. I feel like that is not – that's saying something about Mason Cobb and Tackett Curtis, that scheme – just personnel decisions in general, because I just don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to be there all season and for you to have a top 50, let alone top 30 defense, right? I think like you got to find a place for Eric Gentry. You got to kind of be creative and and find a an interesting spot for him where he creates matchups that are to your advantage, which is something that you don't really have a lot. You don't have opportunities to do that defensively a whole lot. Sometimes you can do that on defensive line. If you've got a really good edge rusher, you create the matchup problems for the offense rather than vice versa. And it's usually the offense that's trying to create matchup problems with you. I think Eric Gentry is one of those rare talents that can create matchup problems for the offense. If you put him out there at the right spot and you use him the right way. And I'm, you know, again, don't have a monopoly on wisdom. I don't want to sit here and act like, you know, I'm a you know 10-year veteran defensive coordinator from the NFL. I'm just thinking from what I've seen, he's a wrinkle. And he's a really, really good wrinkle. But you got to use him in the right ways. And you have to have confidence that, you know, what he did at my linebacker, you can have that replaced by one of those other players that are on the roster now that you didn't have last season. Two more storylines for for you, or excuse me, for me. Maybe you want to react to them, but this has popped up recently since Pac-12 Media Day with Mason Cobb, kind of giving some some glove to Christian Roland Wallace and kind of talking about him playing in a different position. He, he stopped himself from saying exactly where Christian Roland Wallace, but most people believe that Christian Roland Wallace has been experimenting at the nickel position, which is a very very interesting wrinkle for this defense. You know, we talk about him being in that 
cornerback competition with Damani Jackson, Sierra Wright, and Jacoby Covington. Now it's like, is he playing nickel? Is that the answer for the nickel position? A bigger, more experienced cornerback? You know, not necessarily the fastest cornerback on the team, but he is big, he is strong, is he's, and he's physical. And I guarantee you he would be faring a lot better against those bigger tight ends. So Christian Roller Wallace, that's something we're going to have to look for on the first day of fall camp. Is he playing a new position? Is he playing safety or is he playing nickel? Is that what Mason Cobb was referring to? And then the other thing, going back to kind of the O-line, is just seeing the freshman O-line they brought in. Finally, the new freshman offensive linemen are here. There's four of them. Get to see where they mix up. Who is, you know, hit the ground running? Who is early contender to crack the the two deep? Is Micah Benuelos going to be thrust, thrown into the fire at center and be the backup center? Raymond, Tobias Raymond has been just on a on a tear of adding weight and he's bigger than we initially anticipated in terms of his how heavy he is and then the the two interior guards uh alani noah and amos talele big nasty guys just to see which which of those guys you know stands out physically i mean they both stand out physically but which one is going to kind of emerge quicker than the other and then elijah page which what developments has he made over the offseason he made huge strides at the end of spring camp, kind of moving and getting those extra reps at left tackle when Cortland Ford ended up transferring at the end, what is able to get plenty of reps in the spring game. And then what further development has he made now that he's going into his first fall camp? Can he actually be a guy who holds on to a two-deep spot at left tackle? A lot to unpack there. I'll go back to your original tease, which I think is interesting but not surprising to me at all. Christian Roland Wallace playing safety. Um, I think we talked about him when he originally announced he was going to transfer to USC, or even when we heard there was good potential that he would drop at USC. When you watch him on film, you watch him. Physicality is the first thing that kind of shows up. He's not a huge defensive back. Uh, he doesn't have quite the size of a Traquan Fegans, but I think he and Traquan Fegans are both more physical than they are nuanced and athletic from a finesse standpoint outside. And it's really a a matter of speed and a matter of balance and ball skills. And if you're going to be on the outside, those are the things you have to have first and foremost. And so Christian Roland Wallace, he's quick. Uh, he's he's run well, if we are to believe some of the times that were released uh, by Benny Wallace on Instagram, where you saw some of those GPS run times. Uh, so he does have some speed, but I feel like he's a guy that definitely he reminded me a lot uh, just watching him at Arizona of the safeties that USC were trying to recruit in the 2023 cycle that they missed out on Warren Roberson. Tyler Scott, uh, those type of tweener corner safety types. Um, Braxton Myers is another guy that USC pursued and actually had a commitment from for a while. That's more comparable type of cornerback that I see Christian Roland Wallace being than a guy that's, I mean, uh, than Makai Blackman, right? And Makai Blackman was definitely a little longer, a little more finesse a little more ball skill oriented. Um, I think his speed was better than I thought it was. And he played better overall than I thought he would made more of an impact overall than I thought he would. And I mean, I think that was 
one of Dante Williams' finer developments of a player in recent years and, and a guy uh, getting drafted that, you know, Dante Williams can hang his hat on and can recruit from because he played uh, himself into the draft where he wasn't going to be drafted out of Colorado. So I think with Christian Roland Wallace, um, just a different type of player and, and really, uh, again, a good player, a guy that's been very productive for Arizona, but playing that nickel corner position, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. I think that you have other potential options out there outside that you could use, obviously bring in Fegans. And again, I, I feel like Fegans, different players, Fegans is bigger, but I also don't know from a speed standpoint that Fegans is a guy that you want to put, um, especially in the field. Boundary, uh, okay, a little more of an argument there, but on the field, I don't think Fegans has the speed, or at least I haven't seen the speed from him to play out there man on man, right? No cover two, no safety over the top. I don't know if he's that guy. You know, Damani Jackson obviously has that speed. Sierra Wright has some good speed, a little longer, much closer physically to a Makai Blackman. I think he's just got to get reps. I think he just needs to get the confidence and to be in those wars. He's going to win some. He's going to lose some. We saw him lose some in the spring game. But I think the talent level is there. And a guy that nobody talks about is Prophet Brown, who's got a ton of talent, good speed, a sub 10 nine guy out of high school had some great running back um, highlights that you know, a lot of people were excited about him, maybe being more of an all purpose back when USC originally had him commit. Uh, but that's another guy that's got a, a ton of physical talent. And then Jacoby Covington, who, you know, again, sort of similar uh, to Christian ruler Wallace in that he's more physical maybe than he is like fast and long but played extremely well in the spring game. I mean, I thought of the defensive players in that spring game. He was right up there at the top for me in terms of how he played and the uh, the involvement with the passing game and, and defending passes and, you know, whether he was beat or not and, and how he contested passes. I, I think he was just really solid overall. And another guy that people forget, you know, he's a, a high-level four-star guy coming out of uh, high school and was recruited – um, up there by Jimmy Lake, who was a guy at Washington who had a hell of a record developing defensive backs. I mean, USC was getting their ass handed to them on the recruiting trail. And not because Jimmy Lake is some like dynamic, amazing recruiter. Um, I think Dante Williams is probably more noted as a recruiter. But Jimmy Lake just got guys in the NFL and developed guys. And he recruited off of that. And so there was a lot of kids going up to Washington to go play for Jimmy Lake. Uh, because he just had a really good feel for evaluating and using the right players in the right coverages. And so he went up there to go play for Jimmy Lake. And obviously Jimmy Lake uh, gets fired and is not at Washington anymore. So Jacoby Covington decides to come down to USC. And a lot of people thought, okay, potentially could be maybe a free safety type. You know, he's got the physicality. He's about six foot, six foot one. Um, but I think that, you know, I liked what I saw from him. In the spring game, I, I think that, uh, you know, opposite of Sierra right? I think Damani Jackson is still, you know, getting his legs back from being off basically a whole year. And there's still kind of questions as to, you know, how good of a football player is he? We know he's great at track. We know he's a big body. You know, he's, he's darn near 6'2", you know, 200 plus pounds. 
but can he be a good football player? Is he a little too stiff to play corner? Would he be better playing safety as a single high? I mean, I question that. I, I, I know people do that all the time and say, well, you know, he's a, a big guy. You know, Biggie, Biggie Marshall was a guy that a lot of people always talked about. Yeah, you should put him at safety, put him at safety. But, you know, I, I've explained this before. It's a different position. And sometimes guys just don't have the eyes for the angles to play safety and they give up touchdowns. It doesn't matter how fast they are. It doesn't matter how big they are. They give up touchdowns because they just don't have the instincts to play safety. And so um, we just don't know yet with Damani Jackson. He's still very young. He still has a lot of football ahead of him. He hasn't played a lot of football yet. So that's another talented guy there. So, yeah, if you move Christian Roland Wallace in there and he was competing more against Max Williams, um, potentially, I mean, I don't know who else would actually shift over there. Jalen Smith played a little bit of that. Uh, last year as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see where if you're trying to maximize the experience and the production on the field, 100%, you know, Christian Roland Wallace. And, and I think Christian Roland Wallace, you know, potentially has a lot more upside than even a guy like Bryson Shaw if you were to p- play him as a more traditional safety. Gerard, we're going to transition a little bit here. I'm going to throw you out some names. This was actually a question or topic tribute to Troy. I actually wanted us to talk about I'm going to give you some names and you're just going to you I've implemented you as the defensive coordinator because these are all defensive players. You're going to tell me where they are best utilized. You know, this is kind of a speed round, so you don't have to go too in depth. But where are these players best utilized in your opinion? And I'm giving you control to to create this defense as you want. Are Trevino you know tech? Is this the Trevino Trevino tech? Tech yes, I'm, I'm coordinator. You. I'm bringing you into the defensive assistant room. head coach. Assistant yeah. to the head coach, defensive coordinator of Trevino Tech. And then you got to have like some fancy name of like one of your relatives uh, for like one of the schools on campus. That's that's the that's the trendy thing to do now. You mean as like the position coach, like as the official title? Is that what yeah, you're like about? with Stanford, it's like the the Roosevelt Union uh, traditional caretaker of defensive coordinator for <laughs> like Stanford Cardinals or some stupid thing like that. Right. I think for, for like Lincoln Riley, it's the uh, C&J Ederling head football coach kind of thing. That like, Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, okay. yeah. We'll steal that one maybe. I'll, I'll think <laughs> about it. But let's just kind of run through these. Uh, Zion Branch. Where is he best utilized? I think strong yes. safety. Okay, so you're going to put him at a strong safety. Uh, a guy uh, that you don't necessarily – I mean, he can be single high, but I – think that I with Caleb Bullock there I mean he's your guy that's your best coverage guy again best eyes best ball skills Zion Branch has the speed to be up there he's an NFL body type of guy but I'm gonna have him in the box especially against teams like Utah Stanford etc where he can give me a force multiplier on the edge okay Traquan Figgins you talked about him a little bit actually listed as a cornerback on the official roster that came out a couple days ago yeah, definitely a boundary corner, if not a nickel corner. Move him inside. Let him use his size at a smaller field so he's not out there on an island in space. And I don't get the sense that he just has the speed to run with guys downfield like that. Or if you got him in the slot, the only issue would be if you're going against a Washington State or some other school that has you know those sort of four wideouts in every package, you get a really good route runner against him. Uh, I don't know if that's the guy that you want running around the middle field also. So, yeah, I mean, I think boundary corner is, is probably where I would put him. Corey Foreman. Corey Foreman, five technique. I have not seen enough from him from a pass rush standpoint um, athletically to warrant him 
at that other side with the other players that you have there, especially when you've got guys like Braylon Shelby that are coming in that, you know, I would love to try to get him more reps just to get him out there, just to kind of get his feet wet. Um, so, uh, yeah, five technique. Uh, other side, uh, competing with um, maybe Jack Sullivan. I mean, I know Jack Sullivan uh, may not be on the list, but that's a guy that, you know, I want as a five technique, if not kicking him down to a three technique. I mean, he looked more like an inside guy during the spring game to us. Well, there you go. Jack Sullivan is on this list. So you're going to kick him inside to three tech. If I could get Corey Foreman on the on the field and Corey's been consistent in practice and show me that he can be a guy with his hand on the ground, I don't want him losing any more weight. I'm telling him, go eat some burgers and go get some <laughs> tortillas and some rice from Hawaiian barbecue and get to 275, man. Don't don't play out there as a five technique at 235 or 240 because you think you're going to get so much faster. We already talked about Christian Willow Wallace and Anthony Lucas uh, earlier in this segment. So I got three freshmen for you, Sam Green, Braylon Shelby, and David PB. These are your last three. You know, the interesting thing is Sam Green. So he's lost a little bit of weight. They got him at rush end. I don't know from a peak standpoint, like where he goes from here. I, I think maybe instant impact, like what gets him on the field the fastest I could see, you know, being about 250, 245 and using his strength and his quickness. But long-term, I kind of feel like uh, he doesn't get a whole lot faster, quicker at, at that position uh, doing that. So I kind of feel like he's a guy that should be playing inside, maybe as a three technique. He's not very tall, and he doesn't have a big frame. So, you know, that was the reason why he was a three-star out of high school. A lot of people saw his film and were like, oh, my God, he's so underrated, so underrated. Then he was listed at that point, like 260, Came to USC about 250s, dropped some weight from there. He just doesn't have a big frame. So initially, I feel like his quickness and his ability to jump the snap, it, it's a bit more of a mismatch inside in a one-gap defense where he can cause a little more havoc. Again, I, right out of the box, I, I see where he's able to play maybe the edge and, and do some things here and there. But ultimately, I, I just don't know, like, you know, physically, I mean, how, what do you, where do you go from, from there? And, and when you're playing on the edge these days, as an edge rusher, uh, you're really limited if you're not long. If you don't have long arms and you're not tall and you don't have somewhat of an ability to be able to disengage from those big offensive linemen, you can get just sort of swept up in the white water of the offensive line on the run. And so, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, he's a tweener and he's a guy that's like a good football player that you can play in spots, but I don't foresee him being one of those guys that's like, you know, a, a franchise type guy anywhere. He wasn't rated as that. I don't think those should be the expectations, but sometimes you get a kid from like a St. Francis from across the country and everybody's light, eyes light up because it's like, oh my gosh, if you went all the way across the country to Washington, D.C. to go get this player, he must be amazing. And that's not always the case. And that's not to say that, you know, Sam Green isn't a good player. But again, I, I just see where physically there are some limitations, whether you're putting him on the outside, as they have him now as a rush in, or if you put him on the inside, you know, it's just I feel like he could get a little bigger and put on more weight and be stronger. And on the inside, leverage can win and quickness can win. Whereas on your outside, you can't you're not going to get you can't teach longer arms. You can't teach more height. Right. That's the biggest issue. That's the limitation with him long-term playing rush end. And that's jumping to another guy, Braylon Shelby, who has all the length in the world and can probably play rush end. 
and or will linebacker. So it kind of depends on where you want to put him. And David PV, who I think is going to be injured to start fall camp, so we might not have our answer. But both of those guys are listed, or all three of those guys are listed at rush ends. Yeah, and I think Braylon is the NFL prospect there, and David PV has potential. Uh, but those two are rush ends. Those are two. Those two guys are guys that you can build up to be 250 pounds. And there's some height and some length where, you know, they fill out and they're not they don't have any bad weight anywhere at, at that at that weight. And so, yeah, I, I like both of those guys as Russians. I think that's exactly what you're looking for um, right out of the box. And, yeah, you want to try to get David uh, or excuse me, you want to try to get Braylon Shelby, I think, just out there. He's going to take some bumps. You know, you're playing in the front seven college football is a big jump from high school to college football. But I think athletically. I mean, he gives you some things. He can play linebacker legitimately. He has that uh, ability uh, in terms of his athleticism and, and his ability to play in space. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, rush end. He's he's going to be a guy that uh, is going to be a, a – now, he's potentially a franchise guy playing that position. And, Gerard, we're, before we close out the fall camp storylines, I just want you to give me one kind of breakout player that you're feeling for this fall camp. It usually kind of goes to a freshman or a younger guy. I know Braylon Shelby, Deuce Robinson are obviously two names out there that are, you know, consensus breakout players for this camp. I'm going to give you Cade Eldridge as kind of like a sleeper breakout player for me. Just that room is so limited on scholarship bodies. You only have four right now with Deuce Robinson being a wide receiver. Cade Eldridge, you know, nearly six foot six, Really athletic. Obviously, he's coming from a small school in Washington, but I think he's going to be able to get plenty of reps at that H-back position with Carson Tabarachi, Tabarucci, however you want to pronounce it. So I think he's in for a lot of catches and run there, at least on the second team for that H-back position. And obviously, he needs to get down the offense. He needs to get adjusted to Power 5 college football coming from a small school in Washington. But just with that frame and that athletic ability, I think he's going to be able to have a good fall camp. Now, you say breakout. (laughs) I always have to look at how you are defining these terms that you're using. Because breakout is, to me, sort of a player that has already on the team, has been on the team. And maybe they're a redshirt something, you know, a sophomore, maybe even a junior. And they sort of break into that first team and all of a sudden they don't look back. So you're, you're talking about a freshman that's not. It doesn't. It doesn't have yet. to be a freshman, but I agree with that breakdown of what you did. I mean, think about it like. Uh, I think a breakout could also be a freshman who wasn't. I mean, think about it like uh, Keaton Slovis, his first year, his spring, his spring on campus. You know, he shows up and he's making all these throws, and people are like, okay, is this guy legit? This guy is uh, doing some things that are really nice at the quarterback position. Obviously, then he took off and was a was a star player coming in for injury. Uh, as as a freshman, so I think a freshman can be a breakout player and kind of turn heads in fall camp and be a guy you look at and be like, hey, this guy is gonna play. And you know, Tuli Tupelotu was the same thing when he arrived in the summer. You know, Clay Helton was like, yeah, this guy's gonna play for us. Obviously, it's a weird COVID year, but ended up being you know kind of a freshman All American kind of guy, getting plenty of runs. So I think a freshman can be a breakout guy. There's a lot of players to potentially choose from. There's guys that you want to be breakout guys. Sure. That you sort of have some bias into, okay, if this defense takes the next step and they are like, you know, top 30, let's say 36 in the nation, there's certain guys that you would think, 
would probably help them get there. Like a Rajon Davis. Like, where's Rajon Davis? You know, he doesn't come up in a lot of these conversations, but a guy that we saw in high school, very talented player, you know, he has all that physical ability to be a very good linebacker at USC. That's a guy that you kind of would like to see become a breakout player. Now, is he a guy that I would predict to be a breakout player? When you've got Eric Gentry there, you've got Mason Cobb, uh, you've got Tackett Curtis, and you've got sort of a competition there. That's the problem with Rajon. Like, where does he get on the field? Exactly. And and now, you know, he's learning the linebacker position still. Last year was really the first year that he had played that position. And I believe he was actually playing Mike as opposed to Will, which kind of mm-hmm. surprised me. I didn't really see that one. Um, but, you know, he played on the line of scrimmage in, in, in high school and been a guy that was kind of a prolific uh, pass rusher. And that's just a different position. Again, it's, it's like the difference between playing cornerback and playing single high safety. When you're playing linebacker off the line of scrimmage, it's just like a totally different view of the offense as opposed to if you're on the edge, on the line of scrimmage, and you're looking at that offensive backfield. You've got a decent angle on what is happening. You've got decent sight lines on what's going on. So you have to train your eyes differently. You have to look for keys differently. So last year was really the first year of him doing that. So we'll see. You know, I mean, he has potential upside at linebacker playing that position, but certainly you got to take them off the line of scrimmage. Like I said before, guys that have short arms and are, and are not, you know, six, three, six, four, it's tough to play at the line of scrimmage nowadays in these hybrid defenses. It just doesn't really go well when you get kicked out from some six, six, 300 pound tackle, or even a tight end. That's, you know, 265 pounds, six, five. I mean, these guys are just too long and too big and they just sort of eat you up and you cannot disengage from those blocks. So, I would say, you know, we would like to see a guy like Rajon Davis step up. I mean, I'd love to see Romello Height stay healthy and become a guy that has a breakout year as that rush in. I mean, that's one of the top players that look like was going to make an impact for USC coming out of last spring, and then he get injured with the shoulder injury. And we just don't know to the extent of, you know, what, what, what uh, surgery he had on it, you know, because there's some shoulder injuries – that are degenerative and they're very difficult to come back from. And they're something that's going to plague you for the rest of your career. So, you know, that's one of those guys that's sort of on the low. You go, okay, breakout year. I would say of the group of players, and maybe this is not even a breakout player, but I feel like Taj Washington is kind of there. as a guy that's been there. There's a lot of other wide receivers that people talk about. Obviously, we talk about the great freshman class that USC is bringing in. We talk about Brendan Rice as a guy like, oh, my gosh, if he could just put it together, if he could just have that game that he had against Tulane. We talk about Dorian Singer coming over from Arizona being extremely productive, an old Pac-12 player. But not only people talk about Taj Washington, but Taj Washington is a guy that's shown flashes for USC. He's shown flashes of being the guy that can step in for Jordan Addison and be a guy that can, can, can be a little bit of a game breaker. Uh, at that uh, wide receiver position. He has not been the most consistent catching the ball. And that's kind of, I think, the biggest issue for him is consistency. It's doing the small, easy things. He seems to do the more spectacular things easier than sometimes just running a five-yard route and catching the ball on the sideline and making those contested catches uh, for some, you know maybe across the middle. So that's a guy that I would say – He's getting closer to, you know, being 
a, a graduating senior, being a guy that people are going to look at in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, maybe the light goes off for him and he's a guy that has a bit of a breakout season. Um, Jalen Smith is another guy that sort of been in the mix there as a first team player and showed some flashes there defensively, uh, but was very young. And now now he's a junior. He's a junior all of a sudden. It's like, wow, Jalen Smith is a junior. Feels like he was just a freshman the other day. So that's a guy that you maybe he's more in that like you want to see him become a breakout player for USC if the defense as a whole takes the next step. Guys like Rashawn Davis and Jalen Smith, part of that, you know, that I think that same recruiting class because they're both juniors. Um, that's like those kind of guys that you want to see uh, become breakout type players because that's showing that USC has depth and that they're developing what we know are talented football players. You know, I, I think when you start talking about breakout players, again, it goes to who's been there and not necessarily shown the consistency of being a guy that you can count on week in and week out. And that's very important. Showing flashes here and there, whatever, man. Show us consistent, good play, solid tackling in the open field, right? Showing up, um, being a guy that's doing it in practice, and, you know, the, the coaching staff can consistently rely on to blitz, to, to maybe, you know, move around and do some different things matchup-wise, right? Be Max Williams is basically what I'm saying. You know, become a guy that is just consistent and just goes out there and, and can make some plays. And obviously, I know there's people, I can hear them already going, yeah, but don't put them against a tight end that's 6'6". Of course not. That's bad <laughs> matchups, right? That's, that's more on the defensive coaching staff than it is Max Williams. I mean, he's just not going to be able to win those matchups. It's just like impossible for him physically. But in terms of a guy that just comes and is a great football player, like there's a lot of guys on that defense that if they had that consistency, they'd be guys that we're talking about leaving early for the NFL draft. So I, I think, again, you know, Jalen Smith is in that sort of you want to see him break out because that's showing development within the defense. Rajon Davis, if he steps up and all of a sudden becomes a guy and gets a foothold there, at, at linebacker, whether it's Mike or whether it's Will, then you're going, okay, I, uh, I'm feeling like there's some development here and there's some things happening where talented players that haven't played a lot before are all of a sudden getting into the mix. We saw that with the Pete Carroll era. We saw guys like Champ Simmons who were just guys, just, you know, okay players. Uh, Jason Leach, they were just kind of mediocre average players. And then Pete Carroll comes in and all of a sudden you start seeing them really make plays and be consistent and, and make tackles and, and and show up here and there and lesser players that you really didn't hear about stepping up and becoming good players that contributed. And that was where you kind of notice, okay, so there's some coaching going on here. It's not just the five-star guy, Sean Cody. Oh yeah, he's good. Well, yeah. I mean, he was good before he came to us. He was good at Los Altos high school. It's the guys that maybe weren't playing real well, like a Kareem Kelly or a Sultan McCullough, who had a lot of talent, four-star guys coming out of high school, All-Americans, prep stars, etc., but just weren't contributors and weren't consistent for USC. But then they start to be, and that's that's the show of good coaching. So I would say in that you know in that group, those are some of the guys that you'd like to see really step up and and kind of jump out of nowhere and become guys that can contribute. If you're looking for a freshman. I, I tell you one guy that you know we we talked about this. I don't know if it was on the podcast or in the war room, but Christian Pierce, uh, my guy. Now, mm-hmm. 
one of those guys that I pounded the table for. Uh, there's there's some folks down there at USC that are very excited about him, and that have said some very very uh, complimentary things uh, about uh, his development and what he's shown uh, over just uh, the spring and post spring. And so that'd be an interesting guy. You know, if if he got on the field a bunch for USC, um, it would be a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, but there's potential there. I mean, we saw some flashes of him. Uh, he had an interception, you know, in the spring game. Uh, didn't play a whole lot, but played in the back end. And uh, is a guy that, you know, I just think, you know, physically he has it. Uh, mentally he has it. Uh, there's a lot there, you know, that you like as a, as a coach. It's just, you know, how do you, how do you find time? It, it really becomes injuries, you know. Is there a guy there that's, that's going to go down or – going to miss some time for whatever reason and that's where a guy like Christian Pierce kind of gets his foot in the door and has enough time to make mistakes but stay on the field because he's also had enough time to show those flashes because that's what's going to happen with freshmen you know they're going to make mistakes that you may give up a touchdown but you gotta kind of stick with them and, and sometimes when you're forced to stick with them you know it plays out and you look like a genius as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive coach. Um, and that's what has to happen because when you can just pull them and put somebody else in there, you know, sometimes they just never get that confidence again. Gerard, and with that, I think it's time we take our break for the first half of this show. When we get back, we have plenty of things to talk about. Again, I don't have the iPad, so I cannot give you some cilantro boys music. So I'm sorry. We will not have our break music. You will just have a couple ads. But when we come back, we'll finish up the rest of the show and get some hefty listener questions going on. So we'll be right back after this break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How are you doing, Garage Martinez? What's the status after the first half of the show? <laughs> the status? Well, I got a cold water, so okay. that's good. That's okay. Good. But I just, it's, I just, it's just, it's unfortunately this week has been humid in the eye. Mm-hmm. It's not just been hot, but it has been a bit humid. So, you know, the temperature I'm sure is going down. It's probably only like, I don't know, maybe 90, a little less than 90 in the garage. I did open it up, but unfortunately it's just not cold outside. It's, it's just no real breeze outside and it is damn humid today uh, as it's been the last couple of days. So it is what it is. You know, Hey man, you know, it reminds me of fall camp football. All right. You know, I, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed working out in the heat. Uh, yes. I, I enjoy told me the heat and the humidity and whatever. And I think it's just probably nostalgia of being back in high school and playing football and football, just growing up and you're out there in the late summer and it sucks, and it and you're not you're not happy about it then, you know you're not you're not looking forward to it then, the uh, two days and the three day practices that you have, um, and then uh, you know you finally get to the, the pads on and it's like oh now we're here now we're playing football, so we're not there yet Chris we're just we're in conditioning right now we're conditioning for the season so sometimes got to sweat a little bit right. Well, I I just wanted to point it out you you might be aware of this but you know that 
for an order for a hurricane to develop, it needs high humidity. You know that, right? So I it's it aligning needs warm with water. The, yes, it does need warm water. I don't know. High humidity and warm water, I guess, go hand in hand. So yes, you you, you do need. I'm well, just not saying. Not necessarily, but yeah, yeah, you, you need. Just a little uh, science out there. Just a little science out there for for people. Um, Gerard, we're gonna get back into a series we've been uh, bringing up on kind of our slower episodes or episodes where you don't have that the much. Cursed is the that, cursed series is that what you're referring to? The, the cursed. Yes, yes. You refer to it as the cursed series. I I like to refer to it as the super popular. Uh, USC football 2021 class draft. And if you don't know what we're talking about, if you're a new listener, I mean, I don't know, uh, how you're a new listener. Well, no, that's not true. There's plenty of new listeners we're probably picking up, but the draft class was a, uh, failed series that we did back in 2021 where me and Gerard would draft, uh, prospects to build our quote unquote ultimate 2021 recruiting class. And so we went back and forth. There were certain stipulations, like you can only choose a five-star within the first two rounds or something like that. And then by the end, you could pick players that didn't necessarily have a USC offer to kind of help fill out the ranks of that. So we've been going, you know, taking a stroll back through some of our picks. Gerard has been crushing me, by the way. That's not to say Gerard has nailed every pick. That's just to say I have not nailed every pick and had some really bad ones while Gerard has had some salvageable picks across the board. But Gerard, are you ready to take a stroll down the fifth round? You're going to even it up here on me with I, uh, I, I, some I don't guys that <laughs> didn't I, have scholarship offers, but I don't think anyways. So. I no, don't. No. no, no. These all have. We're still in the scholarship round, I believe. So okay. all these guys okay. still have. I think that's what the round next. is this? Is this the fourth or fifth round? This is the fifth round. We're in the fifth round right now. So you had the first pick of the fifth round and you went offensive guard. Joshua Simmons, which I know you're you remember that name, yeah. and I know a lot of people probably remember that. He name. was just in the portal when he's coming out of San yeah. Diego State. Now he's at Ohio State. I I actually liked him as a potential prospect for USC as a transfer. Um, you know, obviously they got pregnant, so that's you know a big get for them. That you know they they did fill that spot with Ethan White uh, having to medically retire, but um, I did like Joshua Simmons then, and I still like him now. Six foot five, 330 pounds. That's like an SEC body kind of guy. You know, big boy, really heavy. Could have even played defensive line for some programs. But yeah, he he kind of had an interesting journey to San Diego State, played for them there, and then decided to bet on himself and go in the transfer portal. But not a bad pick by you, Gerard. I, I think that's a solid fifth round selection. The meme continues for me in the fifth round because I chose athlete. Devin Kirkwood. So, oh yeah, you, Devin Kirkwood, ninety-five percent. The ninety-five Devin, ninety-five percent Kirkwood, which you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have much to say about it. I I don't know what he's done so far at uh, UCLA. He I don't think he played a bit for UCLA last year. He was on the field a bit for them. So, uh, I don't know if he was a a starter or if he started any games, but I do remember seeing him on the field a bit for them last year. So. He's not like buried in the depth chart. He has, um, I, I don't know if you want to look up statistically what he's done, but he's Looking made a up. little bit of a splash for them. I, I, I do remember him enough. Okay. Uh, he he started the first nine games of the season. There you go. There you go. So sure. I think so, that's a good pick. I think that's 95% of a good pick. <laughs> I think that's a good pick for me. Okay. For the I fifth round? I mean, hey, we're looking <laughs> for guys to contribute, potentially push to be all conference is, is, is like, that would be a home run 
for a fifth round pick, basically. So, yeah, you're you're definitely into the lower four star type, high three star guys uh, when you're talking about fifth round. And I think the reason why we opened it up to players that didn't have scholarship offers later rounds is just make it interesting. Is like, hey, who would you recruit? Who would you like if you know you you could offer scholarships? Right, right, right. You know, and sort of open things up a little bit. Um, I think there were con- also parameters. It wasn't like you know five star guy that you could you know go after that right, USC right, right. hadn't offered. But um, I mean, I like the way we limited ourselves to try to make it a little more realistic. It's very easy to look at recruiting with a draft mentality, and, and it's kind of the you know just go out and and recruit the best players. Doesn't matter you know whether from California or not. But the truth of the matter is there is a lot that goes into recruiting from a regional standpoint, and you're always going to be at a disadvantage regardless when you recruit outside your region, outside your state, maybe not so much. If you're USC and you're recruiting Arizona or Nevada, not as much, but when you go, you know, basically East of the Rockies, you're talking about different cultures, different regions, and the people there, regardless of whether those recruits are really college football fans growing up or not, because we talk about that. There's quite a few guys that really didn't follow college football until they became recruits. Nevertheless, you still have uncles who get LSU sweatshirts for Christmas. You still have kids at school that are wearing, you know, LSU t-shirts or Texas A&M hats. It's just even at a subconscious level kind of pounded into you. If you're around football, certain local schools, and that is always going to be a bit of an advantage. And so you play from behind, unless you're recruiting a kid like a Keith Rivers or a Leonard Williams who were originally born in California and then moved you know, at a certain age to Florida or, or outside of the region. But they still had family and they still had those connections to Southern California. So that's why you know, I always differentiate you know, the, the draft mentality of just Go out and just recruit the best players, man. It doesn't matter where they're from. Like, of course, that, that, that goes without saying. But recruiting is is more than just that, you know, day of where you're picking somebody. It's a long process in which mm-hmm. you have to read the factors and the things that are going to work for you. And at some point, you come to that fork in the road. Do we continue to recruit Taylor Tatum or do we diverge and look at our other options and start making more phone calls to those kids. Your next pick, I do not remember this person at all. I'm going to see <laughs> if you remember this person. Athlete out of Melbourne, Florida, Dink Jackson. Dink Jackson, I do remember him. He's a good-looking player. I think he committed to LSU at one point. Might have decommitted up, and went somewhere else. At, oh, ended up at Ole Miss, okay. but was – kind of no longer on the roster and i think he's in the transfer portal now so mm. not not With a the name player. like dink you wouldn't you wouldn't think that he'd end up in the transfer portal i did like him i thought he was a serviceable strong safety type good athlete uh was a guy that was ranked higher and then kind of dropped down in the rankings so Somebody might have known something that I didn't know about him personality-wise, maybe character-wise. You know, I don't want to speculate too much. But nevertheless, uh, was a guy um, that – yeah, I do remember him, and and I, I liked that pick, and I, I liked his talent. 
Um, but unfortunately, it obviously didn't work out for him at Ole Miss. Like I said, I feel like he committed to LSU out of the gates. And then maybe when he decommitted, and I, I could be completely confusing him with another player, after he decommitted, that's where you started to see him drop a little bit in the rankings. And again, you know, like I just said and just talked about with recruiting versus drafting, when you're recruiting, you got to do your homework and know people in those areas to give you that inside information. Like, what type of kid is this really? You know, like I know how he is when he talks on the phone to me and he's all respectful. But when you start talking to school counselors, start talking to opposing coaches and coaches who knew him growing up in the youth leagues, you get a much more clear picture of that character. You know, that person that you're bringing into the locker room. And that is a big deal uh, when it comes to recruiting and, and trying to find fits and what have you. And when you're outside the region, it's not like the NFL, you know, where you get these interviews with these guys at the combine and there's these psychological tests and all this other stuff. I mean, that is something that as schools are spending millions of dollars with NIL, I mean, it's going to have to happen. There's going to have to be a transformation with the recruiting department for all these schools. And it's going to have to be more reflective of what you see in the pros with scouts and, and guys that are not actual full-time coaches that are going to be traveling and evaluating players at these high schools. Now, you, you know, with the NFL, you obviously have rules and scouts are not allowed to like recruit because there is no recruiting in the NFL. It wouldn't even matter anyways, right? There's going to be a draft, <laughs> but unfortunately with college football, there's recruiting and these kids are going places and there's there's no draft there's no setup there's no system like that so that's a big sticky point that I, I don't know how they're going to overcome and get around but there's got to be more evaluation and the more investment that you're putting upfront money uh the more the people that are putting that money up front are going to say we need some we need some more information here you know we need to we need to these are businessmen right they they don't just invest willy-nilly they really want to set themselves up for success and with college football recruiting and nil right now i mean it you you're really really putting a gamble out there uh if you're putting millions of dollars into bringing in a couple kids and you're just hoping that the the coaching staff that's you know recommending and putting these guys at the top of their board know what they're talking about in my next pick i also went with the defensive back i went with cornerback local cornerback out of pasadena mirror high school jameer johnson who ended up signing with texas I don't think this is a bad pick. He ended up, you know, he's kind of like a backup player. He's appeared in 17 games with a start over his course of his uh, two seasons at, at Texas. So I, I think this is a fine pick for a fifth round. I'm getting a guy who can still has a chance to develop into a starter down the line. And I really like Jameer Johnson out of high school. The, the other long cornerback defensive back out there with Kalen Bullock at Muir High School. They had some good, uh, good DBs out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a good tradition at Muir High School with defensive backs. So long defensive um, backs too. I mean, it, those are the kids that stay in Pasadena. It's the it's the minority of kids that actually stay in Pasadena to play for Pasadena schools. I mean, if all the kids that uh, were from Pasadena um, and played for Muir, I mean, holy cow! Like Muir, Centennial, like some of these public schools would be ridiculous. Uh, they would be so talented. But a lot of those guys go to Alamany. They go to Sierra Canyon now. Some yeah. of them pop up at Cathedral. Uh, they go all over the place uh, these days. Chatsworth. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's the one school that still are able to get some of those guys uh, out of the local uh, Trojan and Pony programs uh, in Pop Warner and Pasadena. 
Speaking of Alamany, Gerard, with your next pick, you got a familiar face. That is uh, athlete Jalen Smith with your third pick of the fifth round. Jalen Smith, our Jalen Smith, Jalen yes. Smith that goes to USC. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Wow, he's so. kind of low. He was kind of low there. I thought he was a higher rated player and would have probably gone further. So yeah, I mean that's a that's a decent player. I mean I just talked about him. I talked about him being a guy that's shown flashes for USC. You know he was in there and kind of took some reps away from Max Williams there in the middle of the season, and then he got hurt. You know towards the the end of the year. And uh, we didn't see him as much anymore. But a kid that, you know, ended up playing like linebacker out of Alamania senior year just because he was so productive. And, you know, he was such a I mean, he, he was all over the field for them and putting him at safety really just wasn't doing a whole lot. And so he was one of those guys that actually moved up to playing safety. And now he's been playing more near the line of scrimmage uh, as a safety, um, you know, having played some linebacker in, in high school. So that kind of, you know, allowed him to transition, I think, a little smoother. But good athleticism, just a good overall football player. Um, I just think, you know, mentally, you know, the focus, um, priorities, man, priorities, you know, with with Corey Foreman, some of the other kids, like, just got to focus, got to grind, and uh, got to want it, you know, got to realize that uh, the opportunity is right there in front of you. Um, you got to go all in on it. And, and that's always, you know, the thing with uh, – some of the local Los Angeles kids, they, they have a lot of options. You know, they have a lot of other things going on where if you're from somewhere rural, south, you know, even Texas, it's like football is it. Man, if you ain't pulling football, you, you're not going to make it in life. And so those kids, it's like it's make or break. You know, there's there's no other options. There's no other job that's going to be uh, decent for you um, coming back to your to your local uh, town. And so, you know, in LA, yeah, yeah man, it could be a rapper, you get into hip hop, become an actor. There's just, you know, there's just a lot of options, uh, for, for kids. And sometimes, you know, they get uh, a little distracted, uh, at all those things at the peripheral and maybe are not as committed. And I, you know, I'm not implying that about, uh, Jalen. Uh, I'm just saying that that, that can be sometimes an issue, uh, for local guys, but, um, I think, you know, I mean, I'm happy with that pick. I think Jalen could be a guy that, uh, I mean, I think he could be an NFL guy. I think he has that much talent. We had a little run on tight ends with our next picks. I went with uh, tight end Terrence Ferguson out of Littleton, Colorado, who is a good pick at the fifth round. He had kind of his little breakout season, a minor breakout season last season for Oregon. And this year he's primed to have a big, bigger role as a junior. And then you went with Devin Martin out of Mesquite, Texas. And this has not been a great pick for you because it does not appear that Devin Martin signed with anyone out of high school. His last tweet was about five days ago, and it said, any JUCO still offering, I need somewhere to play. So Damn. Not, not not a good pick, Gerard. That's a, okay. that's a grades thing. I, I think I recall yeah. that sort of falling by the wayside uh, at some point. You know, and I think we did this in like August. I, I thought we did this before the season. Let me see if this it was COVID. It was COVID. Yeah. If I recall, this why is March. Partly... Says March. March. Holy cow! <laughs> March. Really? Well, it, it says was. March. It, it was. Uh, it was the COVID year. I think, if if I recall, uh-huh. so tw- yeah. 2021 class, but actually 2020. And so we were, you know, thinking of things to do because it's like, oh my god, you know, we we might not have football. 
that's why I thought we did it and it was later in the year. But yeah, if it was in March, so we didn't probably know at that point that this dude wasn't going to qualify. So he had talent. I, I remember him being a good player, but yeah, uh, that's a, that's an L for me. Cause I didn't know the region. I didn't have the connection. Chris. <laughs> I was recruiting outside my bubble and I went out there where the grass, where I thought it was greener and it was not greener. I ended this fifth round with a pick. I was very very excited about the war room was psyched when we got this guy at the end of the fifth round. That is linebacker Terrence Cooks out of Perlin, Texas. I really loved his tape and he had massive amount of attention from power five schools, Texas, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Oklahoma as a three-star prospect. I was really excited about him. Ended up signing with Texas only played in one game. Then he went in the transfer portal Went to TCU, suffered a season-ending injury in camp, so has only played in one game in his college career, but he's still young. That is the important part, so I'm still holding out hope that Terrence Cooks Juniors can be a good pick at the end of the fifth round. But yeah, that is our picks for the fifth round. I'm going to be honest, Gerard. I think I beat you here yeah, by I virtue you of I, by you having well, I think you're a little count. optimistic about Terrence Cook. He ain't that young. <laughs> I mean, he's got probably a medical year and a COVID year, so he has eligibility, but he ain't necessarily young. Just because you put the car in the garage and you leave it there for 20 years, when you take it out 20 years later, don't mean it's a new car. It just hasn't been driven. <laughs> Old new stock, baby. Old new stock is what I'm calling it. But yeah, that's our fifth round. I think we have two more rounds left, and I think we combined that into one kind of around the sixth and seventh round. So we'll see the next time we do one of these, it will end it there again, Gerard. Maybe people want us to do this again. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they putting that out there. And I think I've seen one I, reply to that. You, that you've says, you've oh, rebuffed it like every time. Yeah. It's the one person. It's the same person every time that's been uh, saying, do it, do it. Yes. Yeah, my burner account. Uh, as of right now, we are just going to kind of move into listener questions. Cause these are kind of topics and listener questions that have been submitted, uh, some from last week and then others I got earlier today. So we're kind of going to treat it as listener questions. Just a reminder, if you want to send us a question, you can email us at podcast.uscpeople.com. Just make sure you put the composite in the subhead, 10K, Gerald, Hurricane, the recruiting show, whatever, and it'll go to my inbox. That's the best way to get to us. You can also DM me. Do not DM Hurricane. He will not get back to you. Uh, Gerard, before we jump into these listener questions, I just need a status report on you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I think it's getting more humid, though, because it's like, uh, it's just sticky in here. I will have an update there. The flies are gone. So I they think died. the podcast yeah, killed them. Yeah. No, I think the podcast is improving. I think the, the, the expectations, the flies were circling, but it's improved <laughs> and the flies have left. Okay? Are you so saying that's good, that they good sense sign. death? They sense death and they were it's like, a good sign. Uh, yeah, it's a good sign. Oh, oh, no. OK, well, well, that that's a good sign that this uh podcast has uh livened up and scared off the the flies uh gerard we i i'm so sorry i forgot to to put who put this i think this was gate call off the uh the board but uh they wanted me to pick a usc commitment or a recruit uh and then gerard provides a comp to a past usc player or recruit i i didn't want to give gerard a huge list so i only took two players so i'm just gonna start it off early for him uh so gerard i have a 2025 prospect here that's kind of big on USC, obviously, uh, out of modern day, Nasir Wyatt, the edge rusher. Uh, is there a comp to a pass USC player or recruit that you have for Mr. Nasir Wyatt? Huh? As a recruit, 
that's linebacker linebacker obviously a bit more broad i mean you could say chop robinson was Mm -hmm. a bit similar coming out of high school uh who went to maryland and just uh transferred where do you go penn state i think right yes um guys that actually played at usc Sir White's interesting because he's a little older, I think, than his class. About 6'2", 210, 215. So he's a bit of a tweener. I mean, he is a guy that physically, again, we talk about playing at the line of scrimmage, needing to be tall, needing to have those long arms these days and these hybrid 3-4 defenses. He's a guy that you might have to move back. Uh, I would say let's let's be optimistic and say physically – he does develop a bit. You could say Ucheno Nuasu. Mm-hmm. Um, Ucheno is a little taller coming out of Narbonne, uh, but he was in that you know 210, 215 range and uh, played not linebacker for, for Narbonne. He was a bit of a late bloomer, though. I mean, he was not a guy we were talking about as a sophomore. So yeah. opposite from that standpoint with Nasir Wyatt. And again, that's the question is, you know, when Nasir Wyatt is a senior, is he 225, 230 and still six foot six one? Uh, or is he, you know, legitimately six two, six three and a half, and playing at two twenty five, two thirty, and then you're like, okay, we can play him at that position in college, and he can be a pass rusher. So I guess that would be the loose comparison, you know, upside wise, if everything works out, the trajectory physically, he'd be a Uchenenwasu type of player. Um, but if not, you have to move him back, and then it's a little more of a, uh, it's it's harder to peg him as as where he would project. And then the other one is a 2024 prospect that is also big on USC. That is defensive lineman Jericho Johnson. Now, Gerard, I'm not saying he is this person in his play, but I'm saying I'm looking at his profile right now. He does look like Leonard Williams, just with the hair. He does he look like him. No. <laughs> Blair loved that, by the way. I've gotten that a couple times in text messages. From oh, really? Blair, he's citing your war room entry. Is he him? Is he him? <laughs> Makes me laugh. Um, a Jericho Johnson is not Leonard Williams. Six to four, um, 300. Yeah. That's the list. Leonard was, you know, six, 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 five. I mean, we're talking about listed high school. I think he was six, 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 five. And I think about 265, I think maybe 255, 260 coming out of high school. But he actually got to USC probably closer to 265, 270. Um, so the big thing with Leonard Williams is that he was extremely violent at the point of contact, man, man, when he tackled somebody, they went down so fast. They were erased from the film, very long arms, uh, more of an outside guy, a guy that, you know, actually was more of a five technique, um, out of, uh, Daytona beach, uh, mainland high school. I would say, you know, there's not really a lot of comparisons with Jericho Johnson. Cause he's a little more of a brute. He's uh, about 6'3", 300 pounds, and a a good, quick interior pass rusher. He feels his way through double teams very well. He's playing against inferior competition, so he's able to push some guys around a bit. Um, Yeah, nobody nobody really comes to mind as as a good comparison right out of the gates. I mean, the other thing is that USC hasn't really had a whole lot of very good classes when it comes to defensive linemen, particularly interior defensive linemen. So, you know, you're looking at guys like Jamar Sakona and Pepe Kobe and Colin Mobley and guys that are not necessarily doing a whole lot from USC right now. 
and you wouldn't want to make those comparisons because then you're limiting the potential of Jericho Johnson and, and people don't want to hear that obviously. And I think Jericho Johnson does show a bit more on film than those players as well, but that's the comparisons that you kind of have to make within the parameters of who is USC signed recently. You can go back further to Marlon Tula Polotu and Jay Tufele, which really was the last class that USC had, which you had some depth of talent on the defensive line. You had Brandon Peely in that class too. I don't think Jericho compares well with Jay Tufele or Marlon Tuipolotu. I mean, both those guys, I recall, are five stars coming out of high school. Mm -hmm. They were top-end guys anyways. And I think Jay Tufele, unfortunately, man, I think he needed another year at USC and, and would have maybe played his way into being a higher draft pick. And remember, kids, when you're drafted higher, you're going to get more chances because those – franchises have invested more money into you yeah and so these guys that think that they're going to get in the back end of the draft and they're they're, they're gucci or they're going to be free agents and they're going to be good because oh i'm talented i'm going to be able to play my way on the roster like nikel roby did no because there's other guys that they have gambled on and they have they have put the personnel department have put their names and their stamp of approval on these guys they took in the second and third round and they don't want to look bad because some dude that they didn't draft and they just signed as a free agent comes on and outplays them. So you got to outplay them by a lot uh, for them to say, you know what, we were wrong. We need to we need to bring this guy on instead. This guy in the second round we got, he's a turd. We just got to kind of process him out. So yeah, I don't know. There's no there's no direct comparison that that comes to mind for me with Jericho Johnson. Uh, you maybe go way back to like a Laron Ramsey. Or somebody, or Lejean Ramsey, excuse me, uh, somebody of that ilk. Um, but I don't know if that's even a great comparison either. Cedric Ellis, no. Um, you know, Sean Cody was a defensive end that moved inside. Uh, nobody comes to mind, really. You know, Mike Patterson, those type of guys, Kenicho Dizzi, totally different players. They came from a different place out of high school as prospects. Again, USC hasn't really signed a lot of like what you see is what you get defensive linemen, guys that are 300 pounds, 6'4", coming out of high school, solid four stars. They go out there and they do what you know they did in high school. Uh, they just haven't had that. Gerard, I have a sort of fun question for you that I hope you know of. Uh, Fourth the West SC says, what are your thoughts on Bakers, the fast food chain out of the IE? I've never had Bakers, so I can't really uh, speak to this. So... Gerard. I haven't I haven't really had a Baker's either, to be honest with you, that I can recall. I, I think I've had it before. You've never man, had it? Is that what you're saying? I think I've had it maybe years and years ago, but it's not like a place that I've gone to recently. So I, I really – But it's an IE staple, opinion. right? Uh, not to my knowledge. I mean, oh. Not I, really. <laughs> I, maybe. I, I was told it was an IE staple. That's why I think I they're know. asking, but – I don't know, man. I'm a shut-in. I don't go out much, so <laughs> I can't tell you what are staples in the IE. You know, there's not. Uh, it's not like I have all these little haunts that I that I go to out in the IE. Well, there you go. Those are uh, Gerard's in-depth thoughts on bakers. I thought it was gonna be a food. question about Brandon Baker there for a no, second. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> the bakers. Yes. Tell me about the bakers. Uh, Troy Zilla had a quick take. Who are your first dudes off the bus? And why I asked you for a starting five. And Gerard, I'm going to be honest, I'm very confused by your starting five. So why don't you go ahead and tell me why you picked these five? This is not a quick take from Troyzilla, though. This is a quick take for me, I guess, right? Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> well, yes. I was waiting for his quick take, and then I was going to say, oh, okay, well, let me critique it. But I guess I'm the one with a quick take. Who are the first five dudes off the bus? Well, I'm a psychological warfare. I'm going to give you Zach Branch, Relique Brown, Taj Washington, Fabian Ross, and Max Williams. And you're going to think you're going to beat me by 35 points. And that's because I've got a mellow height. He's going to be in the back of the bus. And you're not going to see him until kickoff. And then you then, then, then you know you're in trouble. So you're playing a little psychological. You're playing uh, chess, not checkers with everyone. I, I appreciate it. I, I, I see what you're doing, and, and and I like it. That Thank you for explaining. I'm actually going the opposite way. I'm not playing any psychological warfare. Where, warfare. Jesus. Holy cow. Who's got Holy the Holy Warfare. <laughs> I'm going straight up showing you my hand and saying you can't, you can't beat me. I'm going Anthony Lucas, Bear Alexander, Marshawn Lloyd, Romello Height, and then Jack Sullivan. Those are my first five. Really? Going with Jackie Sullivan over Tacky Curtis. Boy, somebody's sources are about to get destroyed. I'm just saying that mustache alone is intimidating. And, you know, he's a massive human being. So I I feel like I got to go. You think he might be a cop? You think he's a cop? He 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 does have like like a very... a very narky mustache yeah yeah I, I i do get that sense so yeah that's a good that's a good point that's a good point so when he gets uh, off the bus everybody looks at each other and says are we in a weed legal state are we in a weed legal state yeah exactly uh i have a question from rich in sd this actually came in less last week so the first part of this uh question is actually a little bit Sad. Mijente, I have a six-hour drive from Maine to eastern New York on Thursday, so I'm hoping Hurricane has some rabbit holes to dive into. Yeah, that's – he didn't get that, folks. He didn't get that. I'm just picturing Rich driving six hours in silence uh, from Maine to eastern New York. But hopefully we can get the question for him now. Question for both. Let's say you are Lincoln Riley and have one more spot for the 2024 class. No matter who you have or how many of the same position you currently have committed – who do you take, KSA or Aiden Breland? This is if both want to come to USC. You have to choose. I'm assuming KSA is Kingston Viliama Asso. KVA is what he meant. So do you take I Kingston? Say, I, was like, I was thinking in my brain right now, scrambling, going, KSA, KSA, KSA. Who is KSA? I'm assuming it's KVA, Kingston Viliama Asso, and Aiden Breland. So this is a fun question and a question that I appreciate. So, Gerard, we only have one spot left. Who are you taking? I think I'm taking Kingston Viliamu Asa. Yeah, that's a tough one. A long pause. That is a little tough only because, you know, defensive linemen are mm-hmm. few and far between. I haven't seen a lot from Aiden Breland on the field that has me feeling like he's a five-star. Um I'd like to trust my colleague, Greg Biggins, because he's obviously pounded the table and feels like he is transformed and he's going to be that guy this year. Uh, we were kind of surprised by the weight he lost last year, and he was he was just kind of out there. You know, it's like, yeah, what happened to Braden, uh, Aiden Breland? You know, like kind of forgot about him a little bit, talking about all the different players that modern day had on that defense and that they still have on that defense. The secondary is tremendous. Versus Kingston Valiomasa, who a lot of people at St. John Bosco thought originally would be the best player to play at there ever. The best player ever, which is saying a lot for St. John Bosco. But then he had the knee injury. And he's come back, and he's been very good. But, you know, is he still expected to be that player? Can he still be that player? Man, that's a 
you know, I can see an argument for either one. I, I don't feel like it's tough. It's tough. Oh my gosh. Like you go with this one hands down over the other one. I mean, I might just say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to trust 24 seven sports rankings and go with Aiden Breeland. Cause I need defensive linemen more than I need linebackers and more specifically you can find linebackers like Kingston Beliamuasa more often than you're going to find a interior defensive lineman who's a five-star on the West Coast. Now, you know, you can get burned. Ellis McCarthy was a five-star at Monrovia on the West Coast, and USC recruited the hell out of him, and his dad basically just pushed him to go to UCLA, went to UCLA, and didn't do anything. And he was – I remember being at one of those Monrovia games with Ed Erdron. Ed Erdron, I was like, you know, we were watching just the warm-ups and everything, and I just said, what do, what do you think? And he goes, oh, he's beautiful. Journal, <laughs> be beautiful. We, we, yeah, I love guys like this. We don't have to go to Louisiana or nothing. We get him right here. They're beautiful guy. So I was like, yeah, I agree, man. 6'5", 315. Did he actually he, call him beautiful? Yeah, yeah. Uh, block punts. That's good. Um, he, was, uh, he was just ridiculous. Like, he did it. But he just didn't work out at UCLA for whatever reason. He didn't have great development and and you know that that coaching staff just didn't evidently do a great job with him and, and i think there were character issues that came up with him and he got suspended some games or something happened where there was some he kind of got derailed a little bit in his football career but yeah nevertheless you know it was like can't miss five-star guy and and that's one of those few guys you know i say this like about whitney lewis and some of these guys that were five-star guys coming out of high school and people were like oh man that guy was such a big bust and it's like, yeah, but there's a difference between the five-star guys that just weren't that guy and the five-star guys that really, they were that guy, but something else happened. Like, I don't know what happened with Ellis McCarthy, but he was that guy. Like, I, I wouldn't go back in time, see what I saw at the high school level, and I, and I saw probably three or four of his games over his junior and senior seasons. And I would have been like, yeah, that's a five-star guy. Way more than I pined the, the table for Aiden Breeland from what I've seen from him. Uh, and, and with Whitney Lewis, same thing. I mean, Whitney Lewis had a thousand yards receiving, a thousand yards rushing at six one two fifteen as a as a receiver running back for St. Bonaventure. Right after Lorenzo Booker uh, left St. Bonaventure and committed to Florida State, he was that guy, man. We saw him at the camps. He was freaking good. He was fast. He was a, a, a kind of an Anquan Bolden type of receiver. So some of those guys, and in with Whitney Lewis' situation. Uh, to go further down the rabbit hole, I mean, he had dyslexia. He had an issue, and it was not addressed properly at St. John, uh, excuse me, uh, St. Bonaventure. And, you know, it was kind of thrown in USC's lap a bit, and I don't think they handled it the best. Um, and it just was one of those things that was very unfortunate. You know, this, it, he, he had a spring ball at USC, and it was a spring ball where Mike Williams, uh, unfortunately, took the lead of Maurice Claret and decided to try to sue the uh, NFL to be able to go into the draft as a sophomore. Um, the rule of being you have to be a junior before you're draft eligible. Maurice Claret, uh, he, he sued the NFL uh, after his first year. And Mike Williams thought, hey, that's a great idea. I want to go in the NFL too. And basically spent that whole spring away from the team and then, you know, never returned to USC because he took money from an agent, yada, yada, yada. Whitney Lewis stepped up in in his, his absence. And he was came to USC overweight. He was like 240 pounds. He's like, oh, what the heck's going on? And like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, academically and everything. Uh, but when he saw that opportunity with Mike Williams leaving, he, he dropped his weight to about 220. 
and man, he was a dude. We saw him in those spring practices and was like, oh, there's the Whitney Lewis that we all know from St. Bonaventure. Like he's the next in line. And unfortunately, the academic thing caught up with him and he ended up not being that guy, which gave way to Dwayne Jarrett having a great freshman year for USC. Um, but, you know, Ellis McCarthy, another one of those guys. So, you know, with with some of these guys that are that are five stars, you, they, they can be guys you go, man, physically he is can't miss. But they still manage to miss because there's this whole other psychological, emotional sort of part of the game. And you got to be focused and you've got to sacrifice. and You got to really want it. You got to be motivated. And in high school, you can kind of you can kind of be just really good and part time it, you know, and college. You do have to sacrifice your time. You do have to work that much harder. Some guys are not ready for that. Rich had a bonus question at the end for me. Hey, Chris, with the all-star break behind us, how goes your fantasy baseball league? Are you a buyer or a seller for trades? Unfortunately, this season did not play out the best for my squad. We had a lot of underdeveloping players or underperforming players, excuse me. I made some trades. I made two trades during the season, but no, I did not sell off a bunch of my assets at the trade deadline. I'm still hoping to win the consolation bracket, but yeah, trying just trying to stay alive and get into the consolation bracket. I'm in ninth of 12th right now, so just need to get up to eighth to be eligible for that. But I had a big win this past week. So, yeah, hoping to to be alive for that uh, that little $300 bonus for the consolation bracket. Uh, Gerard had another question here. Uh, Two-star pod questions. This is from Dustin. It seems like it's a trend to recruit several edge guys in each class, more than you'd be ever be able to put on the field at the same time. I know... I know you need depth, but is there hope that guys like Cameron Fountain bulk up and become defensive linemen? Or are schools just planning on having a ton of thinner, more athletic rush-end types who would rotate and wreak havoc with? I think it's a little bit of both. I think some of these guys you project to put on the defensive line. I think Cameron Fountain's a good example of that. I think he's more of a five technique than he is a stand-up rusher. I think we talked about that when he committed. And I think you you do want to have a bunch of these guys you can kind of rotate and they're different body types. And you can never have too many dynamic pass rushers on your team get after the quarterback. And that's something USC has obviously struggled with. So I think it's a little bit of column A, column B. You can, once you get them on campus, you can see kind of and project where these guys will eventually end up. Certainly there's been a little bit of criticism mm-hmm. of Alex Grinch and how he manage personnel at Oklahoma in that way, over-recruiting defensive ends, not getting enough interior guys and trying to use smaller, quicker, faster bodies up front than your big bubbas in the middle like you see in the SEC. Now, in a perfect world, you want both. You want a guy that's big and you want a guy that's fast, but it doesn't always work out that way. You're not always going to get those type of Reggie White type interior defensive linemen. So, I think just looking at USC, you know, not necessarily trying to look at a trend in college football, USC is certainly doing that. I mean, they've got a plethora of ends right now. And you would think that some of those guys, they would try to bulk up and move in. Again, an Anthony Lucas type of player that you look at his ceiling and you say, okay, he's good at the edge. You know, he can do some things here and there. But you think if you could put on 20 pounds, 25 pounds, and do some of those similar things, you would be that much more valuable as a three technique. And so will USC do that? Is there a long game here 
when it comes to bringing in defensive ends and developing them and then moving them inside? Or are we just looking at a platoon of guys that are edge rushers that you just put in during the game because you're hoping offensively you're going to wear the other team out and you're going to have your defense on the field a lot and you are going to just need guys to get upfield and pass rush. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, guys like Jamil Muhammad, another guy that I could see being a breakout player for USC. I think he's kind of underrated as the the transfers that they brought in. I think he's one of the guys that popped off to me on film a, a lot more than some of these other guys. Um, that's a guy that, you know, you look at and say, okay, that's a that's an edge rusher type guy. Maybe you could put him back and play a little linebacker. It doesn't look like they're doing that. It looks like he's going to play edge rusher. Okay, that's a guy you added to the mix. Now what happens with Solomon Bird? Is he still there? Is he still competing to do what he did last season? Or do you see where you could put some weight on him and maybe move him inside and he can be more of an interior pass rush for you? Um, Jack Sullivan, we've seen play outside and inside. Um, he certainly got the frame and is a big body and a guy that you could see playing inside. So we just kind of have to wait and see. You know, we kind of have to wait and see how these guys develop the season. And then as we get into next offseason, what's the move? You know, what's the move coming away from whether you had a good year or a disappointing year on defense? What's the move in terms of the coaching staff and the defensive coordinator? And then if you're bringing somebody else in, what's the scheme? And are they going to do the same things? Uh, we've talked about that. You know, that's kind of another subject getting into uh, what Alex Grinch did at Washington State and sort of the evolution of his defense as he goes to Ohio State for a year, then he goes down to Oklahoma. But again, just looking back at the most recent defenses that he's had and looking back to how Oklahoma recruited when he was there, they definitely over recruited a lot of 6'4, 240 pound defensive ends, not a lot of 6'4, 6'5, 305 pound defensive tackles. And Dustin has a second question, much like Rich, just for me. It deals with a show we watch, Never Have I Ever, on Netflix. Was Stanford wrong to pull Paxton Hall Yoshida's scholarship after breaking his arm? Should they have stuck by him and his immense potential? For one, yes, I do think they should have stuck by him because a broken arm, you know, that can heal. I know as a swimmer, you need your arms, but, you know, that's a simple healing thing. It's not like it was a... Uh, both torn rotator cuffs or something like that. You know, that's a pretty simple fix. But also, I just thought about it. Stanford was going to let in Paxton Hall Yoshida, a notoriously bad student. Did he even have the grades to qualify for Stanford? This does not match up. Unless Paxton Hall Yoshida was that good of a swimmer that they were going to skirt the, the academic requirements for him, which Stanford does not do. So I don't think that actually holds up when you look back at this show that Stanford was going to admit Mr. Yoshida based off those grades alone. And then even if they were, maybe it wasn't with the, maybe it wasn't about him breaking his arm. It was more about him underage drinking at a party and getting hit by a car. So maybe the off the field or off the pool stuff is why they ended up pulling the scholarship. So yes, I do think uh, when you boil it down to, they should have stuck with him just for a broken arm, but that that's not a big deal. Uh, has no idea what I'm talking about, so I'm gonna go. I like go... Yoshinoya better than uh, no, I think I like Wasabi, like, like Wabi Sabi, or better than Yoshinoya. I don't like Wasabi, and I've never actually had Yoshinoya beef bowl, but it's my one of my dreams. Anyway, Eddie from Orange, who we've uh, sort of ignored his voicemails for the last, oh, I don't know, seven weeks, but that's only because I don't know how to access them. Actually, DM'd me a question. For last week's show, that did not happen, so I feel extra bad. But 
Eddie from Orange, what is up, my cilantro brother? I thought I would send you a message this week considering my voicemails have now been shadow banned. Let me start off by saying how much I appreciate the show and all the effort you and Gerald put into it. My only critique of the show is that we don't have enough Call of Duty talk from Gerald. I would love to hear his thoughts on how nutty the lobby is for that game. Now to my question. Was Marquise Gallegos' commitment the most cilantro thing ever to be put on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page? In all truth, I tell you, watching that put tears in my eyes of eyes of this fan. That being said, could he be the Fernando Velasco Venezuela of US? Could he be the player that rallies the Latino community in LA to be completely put in on this team? Fernando changed Mexican Americans' perceptions of the Dodgers in the 80s. Could we see the same thing about this? Could we could th- we see the same thing happen, but this time for USC? While I know there have been several Latino players on USC teams in the past, I have not seen one who has wrapped his background as strongly as Marquise did. The Spanish-speaking NIL possibilities are endless with this kid once he steps on the field. In fact, is there any chance the composite two-star recruits makes him their first sponsored athlete? Eddie from Orange. A lot to digest there. I'll start with the end question there. I don't know if the bags are deep enough for the composite two-star recruits to afford an NIL deal for a USC athlete. But, hey, if we did come upon some extra cash, I think it would be a fun idea to to make Marquise Gallegos the sponsored athlete of the Cilantro Boys and composite two-star recruits. Yeah, I don't know. You know, some colleges frown upon that. I know Lincoln Riley was not a big fan of that at Oklahoma when there was some attempts to have NIL deals with certain publishers and media companies for interviews. And then, you know, they had a policy of interviews and obviously they don't want certain information out. And, you know, what are you going to get out of it from a media standpoint? You have to have media when media is not allowed in order to get something out of it. So that might be kind of a, an issue with USC uh, more than even us. Um, to answer the first question about uh, Fernando Venezuela, he was a pitcher. And so with uh, Marquise Gallegos playing safety, it's probably not quite going to be the same, even if he's a star athlete. You know, if he was a quarterback, yeah, for sure. But being a safety it's probably not a position which grabs those eyeballs or quite as much notoriety where he would be. You mean like Mark Sanchez? Yeah, like Mark Sanchez. There you go. Uh, But Mark, to the point of Eddie, didn't necessarily, you know, walk around with the Mexican flag, you know, around his shoulders or or anything of that nature. He was from Orange County. He was pretty low-key about ethnicity and what have you. Um, Not to say he wasn't proud of his – Uh, ethnicity, but it wasn't necessarily something he wore on his shoulder. You did have Anthony Munoz as well, uh, many years prior, uh, who played uh, at uh, USC, one of the greatest offensive tackles to play in the game, a Hall of Famer. So yeah, you do have a bit of a tradition there uh, with uh, Mexican-American athletes uh, being at USC. Uh, But yeah, would he be a game changer necessarily, you know, from that standpoint, like culturally, I think it's just going to be harder to do just as a safety, just because the position is much more low key um, and uh, it just doesn't grab the eyeballs quite as much, but uh, we'll see, you know, it's um, definitely something that I I think a lot of people, there's been great feedback, 
you know, from the fan base about it. And obviously the fan base has plenty of Mexican-Americans. I mean, that's where, you know, the whole Cilantro Boys meme comes from. Uh, and so there's certainly a lot of people that would love to have that connection to the university and, and see that, you know, within the university, just like with Polynesian players and, and the Polynesian mm-hmm. community and the connection they have traditionally at USC because USC has that tradition. But, you know, USC even going way, way back – you know, with African-American players, you know, they were one of the first to really have African-American players star for them and bringing those teams down to Alabama and whooping some ass down there in SEC country where everybody was like whites only. So USC has a tradition culturally of being very diverse and having um, some of those 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 game changing players uh, when it comes to that narrative is, you know, who can play football and who can't. And for one of the earlier questions, yes, I do think it's the most cilantro thing that's ever been put on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. And it's going to be hard to top that. Uh, 1977 Trojan in San Juan Capistrano has a question for us. With all the verbal commits USC currently has, what is the strategy to keep these guys committed to the point that they will sign on which the line is dotted in December or February? Is it just win and all is good, or does it involve constant contact with them? It has to be difficult dealing with a bunch of 17-year-olds who may – be very unpredictable. In addition to signing day, it's still five months away with the entire season of football ahead of USC as well as with the high schoolers. A lot of things can happen between now and then. Thanks in advance for sharing your knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, for the most part, it's not just win and all is good. You still kind of have to keep that relationship. When we speak to commits, a lot of them will have a kind of set day where they'll talk to the coaches. They'll you know take a 30-minute call with the coaches, they, I mean, it's like, I've talked to kids and they're like, yeah, we talk every like, uh, Wednesday or something after, after practice or something like that. So yeah, the good staffs, obviously they have to keep in contact with these kids, especially if you're recruiting high level players, because if you're not keeping contact with them, I assure you other top programs are still hitting them up to be like, Hey, just keeping the, you know, just keeping the relationship warm. Don't want to burn the bridge. Just want to keep talking to you. See, see what happens down the line. So, yeah, you have to keep recruiting to an extent because other teams are going to recruit, especially for your top players. Especially, especially because now kids have unlimited official visits. So you may in past years been kind of out of the woods because kid took four or five official visits. So, you know, he doesn't have a bunch of official visits he can stay take if you're not talking to him or he doesn't feel that quote unquote love. But now because they can take un- an unlimited amount, uh, they could have gone on and taken three or four during the summer and they still have 20 they could take during the season. So, yeah, you absolutely weekly calls. You've got to get them up there for games. I mean, that's the thing that I think is vital and, and you know, getting the local players there routinely for games. And, and the better USC plays, the more of a spectacle it becomes in the Coliseum, the more campus – is energized and buzzing on weekends, uh, the more the kids are going to be want to be around that environment and they're going to want to be down there and that's just better. The exposure, getting face-to-face with those kids uh, on a weekly basis is very important because we've seen in the past some guys just not show up, you know, some guys not be there at games and you kind of wonder, oh, you know, how's that, how's that going to go? And that's always an advantage for you with local players. You can get your foot in the door potentially with somebody if you're playing well and they just decide to come down for an unofficial visit, just to hang out and you get to have that little medium in the locker room with them and say, hey, man, would you come back next week? And they come back and it's like, hey, let's talk about an official visit. 
on the low. I know you're committed to this other school, but that's okay, Nate Frazier. We like you now, and we want you to be a Trojan. That's how it happens. <laughs> uh, I We have this topic someone wanted to, to bring to us. I apologize because I do not have their username, but they wanted us to pick a recruit for the each – Pick a recruit from the each. Pick a recruit each. Oh, pick my God. Pick a recruit in each and the pick, pick, a, pick a recruit each. Spit pick it on, a Mr. recruit Biden. for each of the last five cycles that you were stunned that we didn't land or that they USC didn't land or that USC landed. Gerard went through all five. I applaud him for that. But my biggest ones was in 21 uh, landing Corey Foreman, uh, 2018 landing Pali A. Pale Ea Neoteote, and I think what was my other one? I thought I had another one. Justin Flo. Justin Flo, yes, 2020 Justin Flo. That's the one. There it is. You put more in there, Gerard. Well, the question was, and we all love these questions where we have to sit back and think five cycles. I can't sit back and think about five months ago uh, in recruiting. That's like five years ago, and you're talking about this man five thought cycles. We, this man thought we did. A show two weeks ago. <laughs> this man. Listen, we did. <laughs> this man, he is him. Um, I don't know if I want to go back five cycles. I just gan I just made a gander through. Yeah. Try to refresh my memory. Like and, and stunned is way too strong of a word here. Right, right. Uh if we were stunned that often, we shouldn't have jobs. I mean, and part of this is forecasting and giving you an idea of you know, who USC might be looking at and who who's looking at USC seriously. So I wouldn't say stunned uh, by the list, but I think if we just go back recently to the last class, I would say surprised they weren't able to get Roderick Pleasant because they were the leader for Roderick Pleasant from Jump Street and for a long time. And, you know, him going to Oregon is just a little bit of a surprise. I really thought, you know, certainly coming out of the spring, USC – was the team to beat for sure. Sort of like DeAndre Carter, the four-star interior offensive lineman, plays left tackle for modern day, but is ranked as an interior offensive lineman for modern day, um, not going to USC in this class. You know, kind of a surprise. Like if you're coming in to the cycle and you're looking at the targets and you're you're trying to get an idea, okay, who are the players that they have a good shot at um, going into the summer? <laughs> that would have been one of those guys – Roger Pleasant would have been one of those guys in the 2023 class. A guy that I was mildly surprised that they were able to get Tackett Curtis. You know, that's kind of one of the first uh, two-star composite recruiting podcast uh, topics going back and forth where Chris was really pounding the table. It felt like USC, USC, USC. He had a good source telling him USC, he's seriously considering USC. And so I was just, you know, USC versus Ohio State. I've seen USC lose these battles enough to feel like he's probably going to end up at Ohio State. So him ended up at USC, uh, I thought was uh, a, a bit of a surprise for me. Uh, another guy in the 2022 class, probably Josh Connerly. It seemed like at least after he postponed his decision beyond signing day, USC was the team to beat. Now, early on, no, uh, he was not going to really seriously consider USC, but then that coaching staff gets fired and there was some momentum there and the buzz, you thought it was enough for USC to close the deal. Oregon swoops them in last minute, 11th hour. Um, I think after that unofficial visit, you know, that was sort of the red flag writing on the wall 
that potentially he was not as solid for USC as USC thought. Uh, but you'd have to, you know, categorize that as a surprise uh, for sure. Um, even though, like I said, the writing was kind of on the wall maybe with that unofficial visit. Um, landed, uh, not really anybody. It was a really small class, if you recall. It was only, I think, seven commitments out of that class. So thinking back to it, I don't think there was anybody that you know, was really a surprise that they landed in that class. Uh, 2021, surprised they didn't get Troy Franklin. Not as surprised they didn't get Troy Franklin. Again, if if we were surprised by that, we probably shouldn't have the jobs we do. He didn't include USC, I think, in his top four or his top five uh, right before he decided to commit. And that was a surprise. He's named Troy. His mother named him <laughs> because evidently there's like some USC lineage. And I don't know. There was some connection there. And uh, USC didn't make the top four or five, uh, regardless of them putting guys like Mike uh, Pittman in the NFL. Uh, Drake London's doing great. I mean, they've had a fantastic recent run. It was the oh, dark ages of wide receiver recruiting for USC. It was the dark ages, despite the fact, despite the fact that they had put guys in the NFL recently, had a tremendous tradition of bigger receivers in the NFL. So not just, you know, recently, but going back years, the offense is throwing the ball 50, 60 times a game. I mean, it just, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense going to Oregon. Oregon couldn't throw the ball. Offense was pretty bleak. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe an NIL thing before NIL was NIL. I don't know. But that was a bit of a surprise that USC wasn't able to at least, you know, get a hat on the table. For him. So, I mean, I would categorize that as a surprise from that standpoint. They got Prophet Brown in that class, which was a little left field. Uh, we we're thinking Oklahoma, other schools going out of state. And uh, he ended up at USC. That was a surprise for me. Now, you said Corey Foreman. That wasn't a surprise for me. So, I wouldn't say Corey Foreman was a surprise uh, landing at USC. But Prophet Brown was a little earlier in the year that they didn't get in 2020, Justin Flo. Yeah. I would say so, you know. I mean, I think they definitely put a lot of eggs in that basket. They thought they were going to maybe be able to get Bryce Young away from Alabama after he flipped his commitment. Um, there was a lot of that sort of, hey, man, we're going to have a small class, but we're going to put all our eggs in, in, in a few of these baskets. And, you know, if, if it comes up, sevens, we're good. <laughs> if we don't, it's going to be a bad class. It ended up being a bad class because USC struck out uh, on a few of those guys there late in that 2020 class. And Justin Flo was obviously the biggest. Now, it turned out, in hindsight, however, Chris, we're talking about guys that were can't miss and looked apart in high school. Uh, Justin Flo, one of those guys, mm -hmm. right? You know, played the part in high school. Hard to not rate him as a five-star at high school. I will say there were plenty of birdies that were chirping, saying this guy's too high-strung. He's too much into the weight room. Um, he's going to risk injury because he's not pliable enough. He's not flexible enough. And he's just lifting weights like crazy. And he needs to chill out. Um, like me. I, like me in I, high school. That sounds like you. I definitely heard that about you as well. Uh, I think your very real girlfriend actually said that uh, in a conversation. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, uh, Justin Flo, there were some people that were definitely a little skeptical that he might have some issues with injuries, uh, even at the high school level. So, um, you know, there was a little bit of something there, but still, I mean, he was a man child uh, in high school in terms of how he played. It would have been very difficult to make him a four star with some of the highlights that he was putting out there. And, uh, and yeah, you said 2018 reaching way back, probably 
Palier, Ote. I will remember that we were, I believe, at the Under Armour camp when that broke. And we're like, uh, really? Yeah. Like, right now? I mean, we knew USC was involved and they were. But it was so quick. But it was like, yeah, I think the timing of it was just like out of nowhere. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, we, yeah, it was a little bit of a scramble. You know, I like, just didn't expect him to make a decision that soon, uh, let alone just commit to USC, you know. Uh, so. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting one. So yeah, you could definitely put that. There was some prize there, but yeah, stunned. I, I don't know if any of those guys are really stunners. You know, stunning sort of has to happen on signing day. You could say like people were were stunned by Josh Connerly. I mean, shoot, I wrote like a freaking fourteen hundred word uh, like future impact with Huff. You know, talking about him in USC and whatever. And, I, you know, guess what? I didn't do that for uh, Draylon Miller. I didn't do that for Ty Anthony Smith. I haven't done – I mean, I usually have an idea of most of these guys, you know, what they're going to do the day that they're going to announce. And so with Josh Connerly, while there was that unofficial visit to Oregon, I think we all felt like, yeah, it was going to be USC. And we didn't hear it wasn't going to be USC until about a half an hour, 45 minutes before he actually made that announcement is when it was like, no, it sounds like it's going to be Oregon. And I was like, wow, really? But again, writing on the wall, I, I think, you know, anytime you got a, a late unofficial visit like that out of nowhere, unannounced, it's, it's, it's definitely a little sketchy. It, it should um, get people uh, feeling a little bit uneasy. Uh, but, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. All right. Two questions left. Let's close out strong here this next one comes from jesus my question is for the 2025 class both you and gerard have said that it is deeper in california and more elite than the 2024 class looking at the current 24 7 sports rankings there are only five players in the top 50 from california with dijon lee being number one at number 33 nationally another and other states like alabama have four players in the top 10 is this due to the california's california players have not been evaluated that yet a bias towards the South players, or will the California 2025 class not be as strong as previously thought? Now, I will say, and one of those top 10 players out of Alabama, USC has a commitment from them and Anquan Fegan. So that's got to count for something, right, Gerard? But I think, but, but, uh, but if you look, if you were just cutting off the top 50, there are close to double digit players in the top 100 of the top 247. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't have as much top 10 talent as Alabama, but I still think it's a deep a deep class. You have Nasir Wyatt, you have Marcus Harris, you have Madden Faramino, Darius Dixon, who Gerard is a big fan of, along with Marcus Harris, uh, Dijon Lee, uh, Jordan Davison is a top running back, could be the top running back in the class. Chuck McDonald is in the top 100. Uh, Noah McHale, a uh, linebacker out of Laverne, Philip Bell. So there's plenty of uh, top four-star blue-chip talent in California, just not as high-end elite as, say, uh, top 20, as you will. Yeah, and there's not a quarterback, you know, which is obviously that position, which is kind of the go-to for California. Um, you know, 2024, you have Julian Sand. Not a guy that was really on USC's radar very much. So it's easy to kind of say, well, you know what, 2024 was kind of like that as well. Certainly the depth of talent at quarterback position, not great in 2024. And again, in 2025, it's sort of you're searching and looking for those guys. 
I think, you know, one of the problems we're also seeing is that there's just not a ton of evaluation opportunities from a camp standpoint that's going on in California right now. It's kind of ever since COVID, seven on seven is kind of getting back to where it was, but the camp situation, just a lot of guys not showing up to camps. I mean, take the USC camps, for example. I I mean, a lot of those guys are very young that are going to the camps. They're 2027 kids, 2026 kids at the most. There's not hardly anybody from the current class that is going to a camp where you can go and say, there's a top player. Here's a guy that's standing out more at the last two events than we thought he was. Now you have to start to look at him as potentially a five-star player. Are these guys that are five stars anymore, you give them a five star as a sophomore and they disappear on you. They go complete Arch Manning and you don't see them again. And so it's also makes you a little cynical about the rankings. And when you, when you hear, okay, uh, Christian Pierce can't be a four star because he hasn't shown up to this camp or that camp. It's like, okay, Arch Manning didn't show up to this camp or that camp. There's a lot of players nowadays, you know, Aiden Breland, what camp did he show up to recently that, you know, we can say is, is a regional camp with regional competition. Winner's circle. Yes, he's a five star now. There was only <laughs> a few guys at that, at that, that showcase really is what it was. It wasn't really a camp. You know, we're looking for like one-on-ones and, and those type of things where, where you're actually seeing that high level competition guys going one-on-one together. I mean, 10 years ago, you saw that 10 year, years ago, you would go to the USC rising stars camp and you would see there, there would be high division one players in the current cycle going one-on-one and you would make your evaluations or your opinions based on some of those things that you saw because you don't necessarily see it a whole lot during the season. You know, you're not seeing those players always playing against each other. So you have to project a little more like, okay, he's playing against this level of competition, but you know, I think even at a higher level of competition, that athleticism, that size, it's going to translate sort of thing. Right. And that's why, you know, I pounded the table for Christian Pierce. I mean, he was playing at a decent level of competition. He was also very good in the games that I saw and I didn't see a lot of weaknesses there, you know, and, and that's when I think of a four-star guy, I look, I got a guy that, you know, the other teams are having to scheme around on the other side of the ball. Like I see the team that they're playing against, they're scheming around that player. He's still making some plays and then he just has the physical abilities, you know, those sort of tangibles, the height, speed, you know, the physical physicality, you know, the willingness to go up and, and, and make hits and stuff like that. And so, the five-star conversation becomes a little more nuanced into, you know, the 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 high level of attributes they have, how those translate. Quite frankly, to the NFL, I think is what the rankings makers talk about, which I don't know if that's the best way to do it. I think a lot of us, when we start thinking about five-star, we're just looking at a guy that is going to be dominant in college. Like this is a guy that's going to be a really good college player. And sometimes guys do get in the NFL draft that are picked because of potential and not necessarily just because of their productivity at the college level. But most of the time it's like, okay, how's this guy going to play in college? What is, or his, you know, his, his attributes, how are they going to translate immediately rather than, you know, at the end of his junior year or senior year. So it's, very controversial, but that's what rankings are about. You know, it's just like college preseason rankings. You know, nobody talks about rankings at the end of the year because the games have been played. So there's less to talk about. Teams 
beat other teams. There's no there's no conjecture there. But in the beginning of the season, oh my gosh, everybody wants to talk about it. It's it's so much debate and controversy uh, based on what hasn't happened. And so that's a little bit how recruiting rankings go. You know, you've got a lot of players that are being ranked. And again, you get a situation like Arch Manning. It's like we're comparing him with guys that have gone to the Elite 11, comparing with guys that went against each other, guys that have gone out and performed, and maybe they didn't have their best day. And now we are persecuting them, punishing them for going out there and performing and competing and maybe not having a great day. And we're actually giving someone who just decided to stay home, you know, a bump in the rankings because, you know, we it's what we didn't see. You know, our imaginations are getting the getting the best of us. We're like, oh, my gosh, you know, he's so great because his name is Manning or what have you instead of going off of what you actually did see. So I think that is something is interesting. It couldn't end up haunting the uh, publications, you know, in the future. Uh, definitely. I, I, I felt like it set a bad precedent just in general because it's like one of those things. Hey, I get ranked a certain way. I like my ranking. I'm done. You're not going to see me again. You only see me during the football season and whether I play against decent competition or not, who knows, but <laughs> you're not going to see me at some camp. You're going to see me go out there and potentially have a bad day. And all of a sudden I lose my ranking. I lose my scholarships, which doesn't really happen, but you know, the ranking, you know, it can go back and forth on you. So I don't know. I, I think if there's anything to take from this ramble, it's just that, you know, you, you I could tell you this in 2025, like if you're able to get, those guys you've offered from modern day and you're able to get, you know, the top players in California, you're going to get a good football team. You're getting good defensive players and you're getting a bunch of solid football players that I think are going to contribute. You know, is the star power there? Is there a Reggie Bush in that class? Is there, you know, that guy that's with the wow factor? Maybe not, you know, Jordan uh, Davidson is obviously a very good player. Um, but you know, is he, you know, Reggie Bush type of guy? No, he's a different type of running back. But he is certainly a guy that you can put 20 carries on and is a good receiver and uh, is a good power back. And so, you know, he's definitely a, a player that uh, fits the mold of, of what uh, Kyle McDonald wants. And so, you know, you know, you look at uh, the, the, the players in this class, and I just think there's a little less depth of good solid players. You know, it's a little spotty here and there. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, there's still a little bit of a coaching staff that has a lot of connections outside of the region, trying to figure out what the value is of the region that they are actually in now. And that's tough. And, and USC, I will say, hasn't done a great job recruiting the West Coast you have to go back to the Sarkeesian staff. And it's no coincidence that the Sarkeesian staff had a bunch of guys from California. They had a very West Coast sort of staff where I think a lot of their connections were up and down the West Coast. And by the way, one of the best recruiting classes USC has had in recent memory. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian was able to recruit, I think, the number one recruiting class uh, that year. And so, yeah, it definitely does pay. And, you know, there's also – the fact that the West Coast schools have also not been very good. And I do think that sort of trails with some of the local players as well. And it's, it's this weird sort of, it's, it's double fold, right? It's like 
when USC is playing well and they're winning big games, then I think the evaluators trust their evaluations more. And it's it's sort of like the, you know, the, always the joke like, oh, you know, Alabama recruits somebody and they get a commit that's a three-star and suddenly he's a four-star. And that's a little bit of the, well, you know what? If Alabama likes them, Alabama's done pretty good over the past few years and they've turned out good players. So you sort of trust that evaluation. You don't trust the evaluation maybe of the Clay Helton staff because those players haven't been developed. And even some of the good players that have gone there have been busts. And is that totally on them or is that a lack of development? It doesn't matter. It's do you trust that evaluation? Do you trust going up and down the West Coast? You know, UCLA, even Oregon, you know, none of the West Coast schools, none of the Pac-12 schools have really won a lot of significant games to where I think, you know, some of those guys that commit to those schools that are three-star guys. Like I tell you, I really, really think that if Christian Pierce is a three-star and commits to Pete Carroll's USC, he ends up being a four-star by the end of the season. So I do think there is a little bit of that that goes on. And then at the same time, because these schools are not doing a good job of developing the talent that's local, these kids are leaving. And you go across country and you end up at Florida State, you end up at Miami, you end up at Alabama. God bless you, man. But listen, they got some local boys there and they got support like the, the the fans and the people there they want to see those local boys get a chance and you know i i realize there's always hey you know best up and and the guy that's going to play the best but if it's close you may end up riding the bench and you may not get that break like the local kids do so you know there's a little bit of that as well where guys leave the region and then they don't get traction they don't get that shot and they sort of fall through the cracks. And now all of a sudden, well, West Coast players are just overrated. Well, guy didn't get a chance. Went across country, and he just, he just couldn't get on the field. And so, you know, there's a little bit of that that goes around. So there's obviously when we talk about these rankings and, and you know, where these guys are ranked right now looking forward, I just think there's a lot that influences it. That was a very detailed answer, Gerard. Well, Thank my you. guy Thank is you. driving right now from Maine to East That's York. a different person. And he's still listening to the podcast. <laughs> Would we forget about him because his question is I don't know he where he's driving anymore? this weekend. I don't know where he's driving. Maybe he quit. Maybe he quit because Yeah, when was that sent? That might have been in like 3 weeks ago. <laughs> Our final question comes from my boy Terrence House the Bouse as I like to call him. Hey bro, question for the next pod. What do you and Gerald think the D-line class could potentially look like come signing day? Numbers and names, smiley face. Side note, saw David Palepale in person at an interaction with my nephew's high school. He's definitely not just a body catcher. A bit sawed off, likely six foot two or so, but pretty fluid, good bend and edge flexibility and some pretty good footwork. Strong hands. He played five technique most of the interaction. And yes, you want to see him bully kids at this level. He did. LOL, but he, he was more graceful and twitchy on the edging and smaller players. He had a pretty good lean while pass rushing. Smart football player as well. Gerard felt he could be a bit more disruptive as a three-tech, a natural position for him, and not just a body catcher. And that very much looks to be the case. He's a good athlete, and the poly kids are always strong. He also played tackle on offense, and you could see his solid athleticism on display. He's a really good three-star and will be a contributor for year for sure in the coming years. So... We got a question, and we got a little bit of scouting evaluation from Terrence House, 
I'm assuming out there in Pennsylvania. So Gerard looks like you were right on the money with your eval of Pale Pale based on uh, Terrence's observations. And then with the D line class, I would say you have David Pale Pale committed right now. I would say three defensive linemen and I would say Jericho Johnson and a to be determined, a off, a defensive lineman to be named later, someone that they haven't offered yet, will be that third name. Dijon Lafayette. Yes, if you would. Uh, Dijon <laughs> Lafayette. Shout out to the Tour de France. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. It seems like they made a really good impression with Jericho Johnson. I don't want to give the impression that you know USC's got that locked up. But I think they made a very good impression with him, and I think they're going to be in the thick of it with him. Uh, they will have a shot at Aiden Breland. I like the way you said A, 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 and you like like you were going to say Aiden Breland, but then you said A, defensive tackle to be named later. Um, great clickbait there uh, for our four-hour crew. Hashtag everybody listening for the fourth hour. Is this the fourth hour? It feels like I've been here for four hours. It is not the fourth hour. Chris has got that It's not even the uh, third hour. He's got that millennial instinct to uh, group things and do hashtags and all that other stuff. Um, but I do agree that it's probably playing out that way. We'll see what happens with Aiden Breland. I think he's going to probably commit. He'll probably end up going somewhere before the season starts, but then he'll potentially still take an official visit to USC. And, and you like – if USC's got 11 wins, they've won a conference championship – People are talking about them being, you know, in the college football playoff at the end of the year, and he's got an official visit uh, for the UCLA game. It's, uh, it's that's good. That's that that that's a good spot for USC to be in. But they got to get to that spot. You know, they've got to win those games. They got to go to Notre Dame. They've got some games that they've got to win that are going to be tough games, and then they got to get to that point where, you know, they're going to be in the conference championship, having already played Oregon, etc. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But I don't think his recruitment, just like with Jericho Johnson's, is going to be settled, uh, you know, really until we get into probably late October, November is when you could start to think, OK, maybe. And, and with Breland, it could go all the way to signing day. It could be one of these things he commits to Texas A&M or somewhere. And then, you know, we'll see <laughs> sort of thing. So he named USC. As one of his top, actually, he named USC first when George Campbell was interviewing him at the Winter Circle event that you uh, cited, Chris, uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, that was Jordan behind the camera, former USC Trojan, and uh, was asking him, What's your top schools? And the first school that Aiden actually said was USC. Now, he might have just been looking at Jordan and thinking about USC because Jordan <laughs> went to USC. Right. Um, I don't necessarily know that USC is really like the first school that comes to mind. He certainly spent a lot more time at A&M and Miami and all these other schools uh, not taking an official visit during the summer, which surprised a lot of people. And then really, I think a lot of talk behind the scenes that USC had slipped with him, just like they've seemingly slipped with a lot of the modern day players. But nevertheless, I've been told at the same time, it just doesn't mean a whole lot. There's going to be a crunch time that comes down and it might be in December before he really makes his decision. So that is something that, you know, you have there uh, in the back pocket there as a Trojan fan. And again, Jericho Johnson and potentially a, a guy like Dejan Lafayette who came out of Colony High School, you know, didn't have much of scholarship offers during the summer. And then, you know, with without a lot of evaluations from a coaching staff that, you know, was coming from 
recruiting areas that, you know, they didn't really spend a whole lot of time in Southern California. You know, they get to see some of the players and a guy at Colony High, Colony High School out in Ontario um, battling the flies and battling uh, the cows um, to go check him out. And um, that was, a, I think, a good solid get for them. Um, a guy that uh, sort of has a little bit of, you know, what you see in David Pale Pale uh, a, a bit. You know, um, I think with David, he is built a bit stronger. and He is a really well put together kid. Like he's just solid. He's just solid. He's a guy that you just, man, you could just picture running into and just breaking your face uh, and him just standing there and like, dude, what did you do? You know, like that's how solid he looks. He's just like a wall. And then he's uh, going to help you up after. Yeah, probably. Probably. Hopefully. Maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Dijon, Dijon's a little more of a, a dancing bear, you know, a little more like uh, uh, like a got, got a lot of finesse going on there. Um and athleticism kind of like trapped in a 300 pound body, you know, playing some fullback and some tight end and just wanting to go out there and do those kind of things and stuff. And, uh, but you know, like, like, you know, if you can use those talents and you can hone them with your size, you, you can do some things on the interior. So a guy that could be disruptive. So we're going to see, you know, how he develops as well, but, um, those big bodies, you know, that Sean Nua is finding, he, he he's finding them. And that's what you have to do on the West coast. Like, you know, there are positions where you go, all right, USC should be, USC should be out there with those five-star quarterbacks. Like, how is that not happening? Like what's going on there? That's, that's a bit of a head scratcher, you know, how with this offense and everything that they haven't been able to lock down some of those guys that they went after, but a defensive line, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to grind. You're going to have to evaluate. You're going to have to find 250 pound guys, 260 pound guys and say, that's, going to be my guy in two years he is going to be an all conference type player and uh they may be up in northern california they may be in utah uh they may be in the ie um, there's a lot more blank spots on the map here in california when it comes to football where people just don't make a big deal out of it it's not it's not huge like it is in the south you know you go to somewhere like silsby and it's this big football town there's not really a whole lot of places like that in california there's some places up there like clovis in Fresno, where football is big, but there's also a lot of just places where, I mean, you just drive through those towns, you know, and, and you have some good football players sometimes there. And that brings us to the end of a very hot and sticky episode, a return episode. Next How is week. it for you in the studio? Is the air working in the studio? I, I actually had the AC running, but I don't like the noise it gives in the background, so I got up and turned it off, and it is, it's not like terrible it's bearable but it is uh a little warm obviously i'm not complaining because i'm sure your situation is a lot uh worse than mine i did have to get up to turn the lights on because i forgot to turn them on when we started and then it got super dark obviously in here so i got light on uh, i'm gonna hit the ac on after we get off of this uh podcast and i hope you uh gerard are doing okay i hope you're not uh, i'm sure you're sweating through your shirt but i appreciate you gutting through it uh, to deliver a podcast as uh, sweaty as you might be. No, nah, I'm fine and uh, looking forward to football and, um, you know, kind of excited to see what USC does this season. You know, it's been a while <laughs> since we've uh, been able to kind of look forward to the season and think that, you know, USC is able to uh, to make some good impressions, you know, with, with how they play. Obviously, last year was above expectations um as they got later in the year 
But this year, you know, you got a, a, a couple more difficult games, you know, going to South Bend and having to play Oregon and Washington now this uh, cycle. So, yeah, there's um, there's, there's definitely some something to look forward to. And, um, you know, they, they look like they've got a pretty good team on paper. Definitely got to see some improvement from the defense. But that's, uh, like I said, it's something to look forward to as opposed to the old, well, they could win nine games this year. Like, it's a team that, like, I feel like, so many seasons under Clay Helton, I could be quoted as saying it's a team that should win 10 games, but it's not <laughs> a team that I could see win 10 games. I think they're probably going to win more like eight or nine, but they should win 10 games. Like this is definitely a roster that could win 10 games. I feel like that was on replay every year with Clay Helton. And, uh, you know, this season, I think it's still honeymoon for, for Lincoln Riley. I think this is kind of the year – I would normally say you got two seasons, but because he wins 11 games, he kind of ruined it for himself, in my opinion. It's like, chill, buddy, chill, man. You don't got to win 11 games right out of the gates, bro. We're only looking at like eight or nine, and people would be happy. But he went and won 11 games, so now it's like, all right, now you're on everybody's radar. So you got this season, and then people are thinking national championship third year, which is first year in the Big Ten. I don't know if that's really realistic, but we'll see what they do with this season if they're able – Again, win a conference championship. You got to beat Oregon. You got to win a conference championship. If you don't do that, there's not a lot of pro- progression in from what you did last year, you know. And that's, I think, what everybody wants to see. Everybody wants to see, you know, Pete Carroll win six games. It's like, okay, well, there were close wins and close losses, so there's a potential there. They weren't never blown out, you know, in any of those games really. So you took a little optimism in that. And then the next year they go to the Orange Bowl and they beat Iowa. It's like, wow. Okay, we went to Miami and we beat a Big Ten team on the road. Like, okay, and then you know everything came together, obviously. And uh, going down to Auburn and uh, beating Auburn on the road was just like massive uh, type of, of of win for the program at that point in time. So that's sort of the progression I think everybody wants to see. You know, you just you want to see the program just inch forward. And uh, obviously last year, you know, used to lose to Utah twice. That sucked. And, and, and certainly finishing the year with a loss to Tulane is just not acceptable for Trojan fans. It's, you know, you can make the excuse, ah, well, you're in the Sugar Bowl against Tulane and you felt like you should have been in uh, the playoffs. BS. You know, teams got to be mentally prepared to, to, to play in every game. And so that, that was a bad loss. And so you, you definitely want to see them get back from that and win some good road games. But Got to win a camp conference championship. I think that's definitely the goal. If they get to the college football playoff, I think, you know, that's that's getting a little outside expectations. For me, I don't know about for you, Chris. I mean, do you expect them to be in the college football playoff this year? It actually might be one of my bold predictions. I am fully believing that this team will make it to the college football playoff. It's going to be tough, though. It's going to be tough, but you have a Heisman winner at the helm returning, and you have – on paper, which should be a better defense. Tougher schedule, I think, but I think they have all the tools and a coach who obviously knows how to get there. So, yeah, I would I would say college football playoff are bust. I'm trying to think uh, if Oklahoma ever really played a road game that would be akin to going to Notre Dame. Notre Dame wasn't great last year, though. So, you know, there's a lot riding on the transfer quarterback that came in from Duke. So a lot of people are putting a lot on that and the Wake change. Forks. Wake Forks, excuse me, and uh, putting a lot into the change of the offensive staff, you know. But it's a new offensive staff, and USC is going to get them earlier in the year than later in the year. So 
know, that's a tough road game. That's just a tough place to to win when 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 Notre Dame is expecting you to win. And you and you, I, I mean, I don't know. They, it's definitely a winnable game for sure, for sure. With Caleb Williams, I mean, it's almost like every game is winnable. Um, but then with that defense that they had last year, every game was losable. So yeah, what do you predict their defense is going to be in terms of? Um, and I don't want to give away all your bold predictions here. I know you're keeping those, uh, just dangling, dangling those in front of the Trojan fans to stay tuned. But what are you thinking, defense, uh, in terms of ranking where they would be, um, maybe in, in total defense or a specific, you know, like rush defense, um, yards per defense? Is there any ranking you see that they're going to jump a whole lot to get to that point where they're I think they'll, I think they'll be a top 40 overall defense. I think their rush defense will be. Better. I don't have a certain number in mind, but I think they'll be around top 50 for rush defense. And, you know, pass rush, I, I still have to think about that a little bit more. But I think top 40 kind of defense, top 50 range is good enough. And they have to be a better run defense. They're bigger on the front. Obviously, that has to come with being a better tackling team. And you hope you see that out of this defense. But, you know, be a better run team. Don't give up. Uh, what seven yards per play and something like that cut that down a lot even I don't know 40 percent cut that down and you're and you're you're there you're you're fine so you're not great you're good enough and that that's good enough for for a playoff run or at least to get there so yeah I'm I'm in anticipating like a top 40 defense total defense the big question is you know can they maintain those turnovers which obviously yeah I helped. think you're gonna have regression there obviously because it was just a and Un, it was like a bananas rate to do that at. Yeah, and that's that's sort of you know that's the thing. It's like if you regress there, how much can you improve at the same time? Uh, I think you know I agree. It's it's a it's interesting. You really watched that defense last year. I mean, there were instances and there were games where they did play well against the run, and particularly when they were playing against teams and they were preparing to stop the run. They did seem to be prepared for plan A fairly well, but they just really fell apart in plan B. And that was really kind of in the second half of some of those games where you, you know, stop those runs that unfortunately we saw in the spring game, that first run by Austin Jones was like, oh boy, that's what we saw last year. It's just this gashing 25 yard run on first down. It's like, what, what, why, how? There was nobody over there. It was just, it's a be- just it was just, just looked bad from the, from the start of it. You know, just in terms of your matchup from a formation standpoint, that's got to stop. And I think, you know, the big passing uh, plays, uh, you know, on third down in the second half was something that uh, they really had an issue with. So yeah, there's um, some ranking, some specific things that I think that, They've got to address, and certainly there's potential there. You know, like I said, a, a bigger and more athletic defensive line potentially. Um, you got to figure out how to line those guys and, and to get them in the right place. You know, to to, to make plays. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. It's certainly a lot of pressure, I think, on the defense to to step it up more and, and those guys to to. Um, I mean, they made big plays defensively last year. I mean, that's why they won 11 games. They made mm-hmm. big plays defensively. It just was between the 20s, the consistency uh, was not there. And now I got to end this thing before Gerard melts into his garage. And he really actually becomes Garage Martinez because he is one with the garage. I'm Chris. That is Hurricane. 
We will catch you next time on Composite Two Jar Recruits. I just realized I don't have the soundboard, but that does not matter because Def Leopard sucks. Def Leopard sucks.